All right. Welcome to America's Podcast. Today we have on Kimberly Brown and and Dwayne Chafin. Awesome. How's it going, guys? We're good. Great. No complaints, man. <laughs> cool, cool. So uh, this is going to be pretty interesting, I guess, because Kimberly said she's running off of <laughs> yeah, a couple of hours of sleep. Like, <laughs> I'm on fumes right now. <laughs> so what was that about? You just So I'm an ER doctor, and um, I just signed a new contract where I start covering some other hospitals like in the greater Memphis area. So I was all the way in Carroll County, Tennessee. And I just did like a 12-hour shift there. So I had to drive two hours there and then drive two hours back here. Oh, so. man. And it was pretty busy towards the beginning of my shift, but then it slowed down a little bit. But then I got a phone call. I actually took a phone call at like 5 o'clock this morning. And then... Shouldn't have took it. No, I shouldn't have taken it. shouldn't have taken it. I was like, oh, you can call me right now. You can call me on Sunday. And she chose right now. Um, but yeah, it was fine. We had uh, to catch up on some stuff. So it was good. Cool, cool. So what'd you have to do? As far as work? Yeah, yeah. So basically just covering whoever comes into the emergency department. So, I mean, from other podcast episodes, it sounds like you had like a thumb injury and so you went to yeah. St. Francis? Yeah, as you can see. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I yeah. was just on the way here. I was listening to the episode of your hand surgeon from yeah. Campbell Clinic. But like like you, you walked into an ER. You needed some assistance. So I am the doctor that you originally see when you come into the hospital. Oh, okay. So I take care of everything, whether it be hand injuries, uh, whether it be heart attack strokes, traumas, you name it. I'm a jack of all trades or Jill. Of all <laughs> I'll say it. I'm a Jill of all trades. So how did you, um, I guess, get into that? What was what was the beginning of that? Um, I very long story short, I've always wanted to be a doctor. Um, I stumbled upon emergency medicine a little bit later in life. So went to college, Fisk University in Nashville. Um, I knew I wanted to be a doctor, but just the MCAT was just a lot for me. So didn't What's do the too hot. The MCAT is the medical college acceptance test, and so in order to get into med school, you have to take this test and get a certain score, and that Being helps to okay. um, that helps to you know see how competitive you are against other uh, applicants. So basically, the higher the score, the better. Um, and I never scored very high on it. It was actually one of the downsides. I always had the grades and stuff like that, but just never the MCAT score. So I ended up getting a master's degree in public health first um, after I graduated from college, and that was from the University of Florida. But the summer right before I finished um, my master's degree, I ended up going to Ecuador. Hmm. And I spent some time in accident and casualty, which is basically Ecuador's emergency department or emergency man, uh, medicine system. And I was like, oh my God, like, what is this? Like, it was super fun. <laughs> like, all kinds of people were coming in the door. It was men, women, all these things. I was like, this is really cool because I never knew it was going to happen next. And so I remember going to an internet cafe and just like Googling what is accident and casualty in the United <laughs> States. And I found emergency medicine. I'm like, nope, this is what I'm going to do. I wanted to be an OBGYN for a long time. I thought about being a uh, cardiovascular surgeon. My mom wanted me to be, to be an orthopedic surgeon or a cardiologist, but I found emergency medicine was like the perfect blend of everything. So, hmm. and I don't have to be on call. I have my own time. I am work shifts. It's really flexible. So that's what I do. So um, I'm sorry, you might already explain this, but so like Dr. Weller, he said he works for like the Campbell Clinic. So right. he just kind of like goes wherever. Is that kind of like what you're doing? Or? Um, Yes and no. So emergency medicine, at least in this region, is a little bit different. So hospitals don't directly hire 
they're emergency doctors here in the Memphis area. They contract with other companies okay. to do so. And so I am a contractor for Team Health, which covers the ho- the Baptist hospitals in this region. So I'm basically, you know, covering maybe DeSoto, maybe Crittenden, Huntingdon, uh, some places in Union City, uh, sorry, Union County, uh, Mississippi, Union City, Tennessee. I'm all over the place. But I trained and did residency here. So I'll say this, if you want to become a doctor, you have to go to medical school, but after you complete medical school, you have to do a residency, and that's when you specialize in something. So whether you want to be a pediatrician, if you want to be um, an ER doctor, if you want to be a surgeon, then you have to do that specific residency. So I did residency here, and I trained in the Methodist system, I trained um, at Le Bonheur, and I also did some training at Regional One. Okay. So how was Ecuador? That was I've actually been to Ecuador. I went to it was uh, lit. Quito. Yeah, were, that's where I was. You're in Quito? So this was a long time ago. So this was like two thousand and nine. Um, that was my first time ever being out of the country. I had gotten my passport specifically just for that, but that was really, really fun. I just got overwhelmed probably about a week and a half in because my Spanish is not that great. <laughs> And you really got to know Spanish pretty yeah. well to, to live in Ecuador. Um, but I but I learned, and that was part of the experience, is I also learned some medical Spanish. And I also learned more about their public health system and how they take care of patients there. So um, I rotated in family medicine, um, OB, pediatrics, things like that. So well, it was a fun experience. Latin and Spanish are kind of similar, right? They're very similar because English, Spanish, and French are all Latin-based for, okay. for something. So it was easy for me to pick up some things. I took sp- a little medical bit of, terms. Yeah, and Latin. medical terms, too. But I took some um, some French in high school and some Spanish like before that. So I kind of could piece some stuff together and remember it. But it's just kind of hard like having like a back-and-forth conversation with somebody. I'm just not that good yeah. in my Spanish just yet. So... I can say basic things. <laughs> but um, were the people you working with, were they all like Americans or was it a lot of just Ecuadorians? So the doctors were all Ecuadorian, but the oh, students wow. were um, either from Canada or from the United States. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Met a lot of cool people. So it was dope. Was How long were you there? I was there for a month. For just a month? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Well, that's not that bad. No, it wasn't bad. Where were you living? I live with a homestay family, so mm. it was an older woman, and she had some older daughters. I don't remember what she did, but she basically was retired, um, and she had, like, an extra room in the back of her house that she used to just have, like, you know, study abroad students just come stay with her. So it was dope. I did the same program, again, just in a different place um, when I was in medical school. I actually went to South Africa. I went to Durban for a month doing kind of um, similar thing, but just focusing more on HIV AIDS just because I wanted to to travel a little bit again while I was studying. So AIDS is pretty bad in like the whole continent of Africa, isn't it? Yes, but more specifically, it's pretty bad in South Africa. Um, Hmm. And that's more so because of, I think, apartheid and some other factors um, there that I'm just not remembering because it's been a while since I've been there as well. But I spent some time in the HIV clinics there. I spent some time um, in the OBGYN ward, so in the labor and delivery wards, delivering babies there. Um, I did get lots of chance to like travel around, so I did go to Cape Town um, a little bit and hang out, which I absolutely highly recommend to everybody to go to Cape Town. Um, of course, saw some townships, which were very humbling, especially coming from America and being 
um, black and looking at how black people are living in other parts of the world. It's literally just abject poverty in some of the townships there. But then if you just drive like 20 minutes down the road, it can be just like completely modern and you'd think you'd be in America or Canada or somewhere in Europe or something like that. Oh, so, wow. It's a very humbling place to go. So That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah I've always wanted to go to Africa uh, just, to, just to see like the different... It's, it seems like a very diverse continent, mm-hmm. um, even though like everybody usually kind of just like, you know, people make that mistake of calling Africa yeah, a country. Yeah, Africa. Yeah. yeah it's, <laughs> it's like there's a so monolith. Many, yeah, there's so many different, you know, countries there that have different lifestyles. So I think it'd be awesome just to go to, just to see the different places, even up to like the Middle East areas yeah. or close to like Egypt and I think it'd be awesome just to try. That is definitely on my bucket list. I have got to go to Egypt like before I die. I've got to see the pyramids yeah. and everything. I really, really want to do that. I've heard that it can be. I think it's Egypt is like kind of dangerous, and then also I've heard it's like perfectly fine. Like I've heard both both sides. I've heard both of it as well. I think it's probably because they're just in and out of so many wars. Maybe I don't yeah. want to say things that are not true, but yeah. that's what my thought is of the things that I've heard. But. I've heard that about America, though, from other people. <laughs> <laughs> right. Some people yeah. say, you going to Memphis? Yeah, God, yeah, It's right. a little dangerous there. I'm like, well, I'm from Milwaukee. It's so it's dangerous there, yeah. too. It's yeah, they call, uh, call it what? Kilwaukee? Yeah, Kilwaukee. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Kilwaukee, yeah. yes. Wow. But you're from Memphis, so, you know. Yeah. A native Memphian. Yeah. yeah. Well, Memphis has its, you know, it's got its good spots and it's got its bad spots. I mean, and then plus, like, whatever you consider Memphis. Like, I think... I was talking to somebody and they were like, yeah, Cordova got um, annexed Mm -hmm. into Memphis. And I Mm -hmm. was like, all right, whatever. (laughs) Because I just moved here in April of last year. So um, I don't don't really know what is, you know, Memphis as far as – because I'm actually from a really small town. So I'm not used to, I guess, big cities – just like claiming everything around right. them, <laughs> right? So that's, you're from Mississippi, right? No, Alabama, Alabama, Alabama. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What part of Alabama are you from? Northeast Alabama. Have you ever heard of uh, Birmingham? Nah, never. Okay, heard so of it. Birmingham I'm is. Just cu- I'm just kidding. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> like, nah, never heard of Birmingham. No, I'm just kidding. Yes, I know Birmingham. Well, some people like they don't know any cities really? in Alabama. Yeah. Because there's Birmingham, there's Montgomery, there's Selma, uh, there's Huntsville. Yep. There, yeah, I mean, hey, Birmingham has papados. They do, yeah. and yeah. and we do not have papados here. We, we don't, which yeah. is a great disgrace to the city of Memphis. <laughs> papados, if you're listening, please come to Memphis. We'd love to have you. I have a friend actually from um, he's from New Orleans, and he came to visit me up here. He had never had Zaxby's before, and he was like, "What is that?" And I was like, "You don't know what Zaxby's is right? <laughs> it's just right down the road." So I right. took him to Zaxby's. He's like, "It's pretty good. Yeah, it's right. really good." Right. So yeah. I love um, what's that restaurant? Raisin Cane's. I was just about to say that's you. Have you never had Raisin Cane's? I had. Oh, never. I had okay. No, he yeah. taught me about uh, Raisin Cane's because I had never even heard of it. Yeah. Um, and we went in Mississippi once, and actually, I think I did go another time when I was driving to New Orleans. Funny enough, stopped at Raisin Cane's. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it's like Zaxby's but better. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just a little different. Have you ever heard of? Well, we have it now here in Cordova, uh, Guthrie's. Yeah. I've heard of it, but I've never had it. Okay. It's, would you agree it's like a little overpriced? Yeah. Okay. It's, yeah. A, it's a little overpriced <laughs> yeah. for like I mean, what you're getting. For chicken tenders. Yeah. yeah you're basically yeah. like, okay. they have a super small menu. It's like they have their chicken tenders, fries, coleslaw, uh, like toasted bread, and 
That's, that, it. that's almost and probably it. drinks and that's it. Yeah, like their sweet tea and that's that's about it. Huh. it. It's very similar to Canes, but I think Canes is a little cheaper. It, it might is. be the same price or a little cheaper. Well, I mean, Canes is about nine, ten bucks. Okay, know? so that's well, about the same as Guthrie's. Well, well, actually, Canes is a little bit less. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Guthrie's is more on the if we want to say I don't know high end. They can, they want <laughs> premium, premium chicken tenders. Yeah, yeah. This is the premium chicken yeah. tenders. You know, it's it's pretty wild. But I think I think just like having the diversity and the different restaurants that Memphis has, even though they don't have something like Papados or something. Like that, sure, sure. It's it, I I really like it here. Um, there is God. What's that restaurant? Shoot. I think it oh is it Corky's? Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah, barbecue. That's one. Yeah. So Corky's some people were talking that up so big. And I went and had it and I was like, this is not that good. <laughs> so my place that I tell people to get barbecue, I don't tell them any other place really other than Central. Okay. I'm See, I Central haven't been girl. to Central. Okay. <laughs> that's the one. <laughs> yeah, well, you gotta go to Central. That's okay. that's where it's at. And where do you tell people to go, Dwayne? Well, you know, you say Big Bills. Yeah, so yeah. By I've me, never heard of that. Well, see, by me being a native Memphian, of course, I know all the barbecue spots, right? Yeah. So, uh, Corky's is more commercial. It's commercial barbecue. Okay. But to be honest, Corky's is actually okay for commercial barbecue. Oh. But if you want good barbecue and you're here in Memphis, I always go to Big Bills. Matter of fact, they just opened another a new Big Bills location, second location right out here off uh, Kirby and. Um, um, Quince, okay, Quince and Kirby, they're over there, but they have another location in Whitehaven on Elvis Presley. Okay, uh, another good one is Pollard's Barbecue. It's on. I've never heard. I've, of never, heard, I've <laughs> never heard of Pollard's. I've been here for five years. He's yeah. teaching game right now. Yeah, yeah. Pollard's Barbecue is is on is on Shelby, uh is on Elvis Presley as well. Okay, uh, uh, it's it's a locally owned good barbecue place. Uh, another good place is Cozy Corner. Uh, on Cozy Corner is downtown Memphis. Okay, it, it's famous good barbecue. But literally, it's on A.W. Willis. Yeah. Like okay. you are about to be on um, St. Jude's campus. You'll see St. Jude's campus either to your if you're heading west. You'll see it on your left, and it's right there. You'll you'll pass it. You okay. won't you. It looks like there's nothing there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it looks abandoned, but it's not. So it's not abandoned. It's not abandoned. Hmm. Not at all. I've not had. I've not had Cozy Corner though. Even though I live so close to it, I've oh, yeah, had yeah. it. Cozy Corner is pretty good. Um, so what do you get from there? Well, so I'm a I'm a shoulder I'm I'm a barbecue shoulder mm-hmm. sandwich kind of guy, right? Okay. Um, I like it in sauce. Yeah. I like slaw on my sandwich. Okay. I know that's a foreign concept to some people. Like they don't they don't see how you <laughs> yeah, mix yeah. slaw. On a, on a shoulder sandwich, but I mean that that's my go to. Yeah. I mean I like a good rib tip plate as well. Uh, I'll eat ribs, but I don't like them sauced. Like I like my ribs dry. Really? Yeah. I love a lot of sauce. <laughs> <laughs> really, I like all my all my barbecue. I love sauce on them. Well, it it depends on if you like a sweet sauce or you're like a mustard sauce. Okay. You know? I mean I mean you know s- sauces here depend have a tendency to be more on the sweet side. Mm-hmm. But if you're more of a mustard base vinegar base type person then i could tell you another place you could go to and get you know uh, like barbecue shop on um i've heard on about madison that. i've now, heard about that i don't really like barbecue shop 
Well, that's because they base they they base their sauce in mustard and vinegar. Okay, and you like that's the sweeter. Why. Yeah, yeah, I like a sweet sauce. I don't mm. eat mustard like period. The, I like uh, only buy mustard uh, like if it has to do with the <laughs> recipe, or I'll buy grape poupon to put on a sandwich or something uh, like that. I'm real okay. funny acting. Yeah, that's, that, that's what that's all about. <laughs> yeah, I love um, like all different kinds of sauces. My wife Rachel, she like will put. A thousand different sauces on one sandwich. I'm like, oh, wow. you're not even tasting this. <laughs> but yeah, I love um, even just like the sweet, and then we'll get like a sweet heat, like a. It will even mix some hot sauce with with our barbecue and just see it, you know how it adds a little heat to the barbecue sauce, and then um, I think the like the tangy uh, mustard is isn't that like a Carolina thing? Yeah. Uh, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more of the Carolinas. Yeah, because yeah. I remember the first time I got exposed to that is when I went over to North Carolina. Okay. They have that whole uh, vinegar, mustard. They've got the vinegar coleslaw. That's yeah. like their thing. Yeah. And it's, in my personal opinion, it's not really that that great. Mm. So I have some colleagues that live in the Carolinas, mm-hmm. and we always have this this wonderful debate between each other <laughs> of like, whose barbecue is the best. And I'm yeah, like, yeah. listen, man, listen, listen. Stop the nonsense. <laughs> Memphis is world famous for barbecue. Correct. Period. Of course, you have your Kansas. You have Texas. Everybody kind of has their own style. I tell anybody, Memphis does the pork really well. Mm. If you want good brisket, you go to Texas. Texas, yep. Texas is world known for their brisket. Yeah. But I mean, you know, we could have, we could we could pontificate all day about. Kansas, St. Louis. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm gonna disagree with you. I. I Memphis, please don't kill me. I've, I've lived here for five years. Literally, it'll be five years on Monday. But I really think Kansas City has the best barbecue I've ever really? tasted in my life. Why? Yes, I, it's just good. So where'd you eat it? I had it in Kansas City. And okay. what did you eat? Yeah. Um. Oh God, it was something beef. Was it beef ribs? I think it was beef ribs. I was literally on an interview for residency, and I was interviewing in at the University of Kansas, and they brought it in for us for lunch. So I don't remember the place. I know there's two big places that you can go, and I think they're both two men's names. But when I tell you, like, everybody was going back for second, thirds, and fourths, and that's the best barbecue. And I'm not a barbecue person. I like Memphis barbecue, but it's not, like, my holy grail. Like, if I really, really want some barbecue, I'm going to go to Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And I'm a Midwesterner, so they're kind of still kind of Midwest-ish in a way. So maybe I'm just loyal to that. I just think it's better. I would say some of the best barbecue I've actually ever had was in Cincinnati, Ohio. Hmm. It was a place called um, Eli's Barbecue. And um, me and Rachel had just went to, I think we had just went to the um, the aquarium. And then we came out, we were going to go somewhere to eat. And so we looked up a place, and then we went there. And it was it just so happened to be like, an expensive version of the Olive Garden. We were like, we're not about to go to somewhere like that. Yeah. So um, we looked up another place, and it was Eli's Barbecue, and was like, all right, yeah, we'll check it out. We go looking for it, and we can barely find it. Like, we have no idea where it is. We just pull up in this parking lot, and um, and then so we're walking around, and it's like um, like an outside setup. Mm-hmm. You know, people are, like, outside eating and whatnot. And, uh, but we're still looking how to get in the place. Like, we're not sure where they're getting the actual food from. And... Um, this older couple's walking out. They're like, are y'all looking to get inside? We're like, yes. And then they're like, you have to go around the front. And then we're like, all right, thank you. She's like, do you like your mac and cheese super thick? And we were like, yeah, I guess. Sure. <laughs> yeah. She was like, cool, because 
when you take their mac and cheese, you can turn your bowl upside down and it doesn't come out. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. So we go in and it's like a little shack area. Yeah. And, um, no, they've got their menu on the on the wall that you, you know, and chalk and everything is pretty cool place. But that was probably some of the best barbecue I've ever had. Eli's the holes barbecue. in the walls are the best places to get yeah. barbecue. The places that you like never think that that's what they even do in there. Yeah. It's the best place to get food. Elwood Shack is like that. Have y'all heard? Have you had, you've had that? Yes. Yeah. Have Where you had that? that? I don't even know what that is. I'll, I'll, I'll take you one day. Yeah, okay. it's pretty good. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's I good think stuff. me and Rachel like just got their big platter thing that they have, and we just shared it. But, I mean, it had – Thing had ribs and some chicken and something else on there, and it was all really good. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the two places that you were talking about is that something that you kind of have to know somebody in the Memphis area to figure out where they are. Well, so so like so for instance, like Big Bills. I mean, that's not Big Bills is a local staple here. So yeah, you kind of have to be local to know about it. In yeah. A yeah. Sense. But I mean, because like they don't have like a national platform like that, but or like I mean, Rendezvous but, or something like that. Probably. But oh, yeah. but they have people outside of Memphis that know about them mm-hmm. when they come. Because like we have like University of Memphis, a lot of college kids come here, mm-hmm. or they go Rhodes or CBU, and then they say they tell their parents, "Hey, mom and dad, when you come to Memphis, we gotta go to Big Bill's mm-hmm. Barbecue, right?" So so that's kind of their their notoriety is kind of grassrooted, if that makes sense. Yeah, cool. uh, that is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I value like those mom and pop shops, especially sure. this time because sure. the pandemic hit and sure. then like places were closing down like crazy. Right. Yeah, one yeah. of my favorite places to eat at around here was Sear Shack. is a yeah. is a burger place that's in Bartlett. Yeah, and I think they actually had another location. Yeah, it's over there on Sanderlin, <coughs> uh, Poplar and um, uh, Sanderlin. It's right over okay. behind the um, Malco Paradiso. Okay, movie theater in that shopping center over there. But yeah, like Sear Shack is. Um, I mean, they. I guess they were not a real chain, but like they, it was a smaller type place mm-hmm. and phenomenal food. Kind of like a Five Guys type thing. Like okay. They, they made their fries and uh, the burgers were. Well, you know, are they closed really, now? Because yeah, of they the shut COVID? down because of the, because of the pandemic. And they are they going to reopen? For good. That's awful. Wow. Yeah. Them and uh, there's a place in I think Germantown called Farm and Fries, and so again, mm-hmm. it's like one of those places where they're they're. Um, they're catering toward people who want like you know good yeah. quality meat and yeah. good quality ingredients, and they shut down for good because wow. of the pandemic. So yeah. Wow. yeah, this thing is hitting some yeah. mom and pop stores pretty hard. It's yeah. rough. I was telling some people, um, well, in my short life, I've never seen anything to come across the world that literally touches every single industry, every single person. Like even in healthcare, yeah. we were affected. Like every. Like, the whole world just got turned upside down. And I don't think we've ever seen anything like that. Even if we had a recession, it's usually like, okay, this subset of people will be affected, but not, you know, these industries. So, it's just been a weird time. It's been a weird, odd time. Yeah. I mean, how... how I guess the best way you can explain it, has it really affected the the healthcare industry to you? Um, I will say, here in this area... um, we saw a really big drop in how many people were coming to the ER period. I think that was a combination of things. One, because people were told to stay out of the ER unless they were like critically ill. Um, and I think a lot of times the people were super afraid to come to the hospital, just mm. even if there was something wrong. They didn't want to get They COVID didn't want to get COVID uh, by coming into the hospital. Um, and I've not 
known of anybody to get COVID just because they walked through the doors of a hospital. Yeah. Um, but we've seen a lot of people to delay care that they could have had emergently. So meaning like if you have a heart attack, we 100% know how to fix that. We definitely have a clear delineated path of like how heart attacks are fixed. But there was a patient that I saw who had like chest pain on a Friday night and she didn't come to the ER until Sunday. She had her heart attack and it was, you know, there was still something to be fixed. But if like if she had just come earlier, like it could have been an even better outcome for her. Same thing. There was one of my partners that had a patient that had like stroke symptoms like four days prior before they came into the ER. If they came like within the first 24 hours, they could have gotten some medicine and possibly reversed their symptoms. Mm. So it was some things that we saw were pretty devastating. Of course, I've seen um, COVID-19 patients, which has been emotional for me because of course they are been have been for the vast majority um, people of color um, that I've personally seen. Um, and of course, unfortunately, some of them have passed away. Um, it's just been, it's been a very weird time. Yeah. And since I'm really just fresh out of residency, meaning, so I'm just like now able to practice on my own. I'm board certified now. I don't need to like, you know, see patients with anyone, um, supervising me. I just could have never expected something like this so early in my career. Yeah. Um, it's a heck of a time. To- <laughs> it's a heck of a time. Hell, it's a hell of a time. <laughs> to, um, to get to, out yeah, there to be, be on a doctor. your own. Yeah. yeah. So, but I mean, the people I work with for the most part are really great and we're supportive of each other. But um, since our volumes were down, our shift times were changed. So we cut back some hours. So even I was affected a little bit. I'm not going to say woe is me because I'm definitely blessed to still have a job. But other doctors are part of uh, other parts of the country. They got let go. Um, Doctors that are about to finish residency and waiting for jobs, they're getting their excuse me, contracts renegotiated or saying that we don't need you anymore. We just don't have the volume. So they're scrambling and looking for jobs. Wow. So the fact that doctors are looking for jobs is, is you know, that's, crazy. that's huge because basically I feel like being an ER doctor is a guarantee. There's going to be somebody that does, does something stupid all yeah. the time. There's yeah. going to be an accident that happens all the time. So yeah. even if people are best on best behavior, things just happen. So, um, but the fact that emergency physicians are now, you know, Searching for jobs is it's interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting like, time. Dr. Weller was talking about how uh, firecracker incidents are like insanely huge. Oh my God, yeah. Probably <laughs> that and trampoline incidents. Trampolines? And, and hoverboards. Because kids are at home. People are just at home and they're bouncing on trampolines. <laughs> they'll fall off of them. They'll slide yeah. through them. They'll break, a, they'll break their arm. They'll break their ankle. I mean, they're at home just doing That's dumb crazy. shit. Like just because there's nothing else to do. Yeah, yeah. And mom and dad are tired of watching. <laughs> they need a break. Come on now. So just dumb things. You know, just stuff happens. That's wild. So. So what have, what have I guess, the number one thing you you have seen as far as, like, like, really? Come on now. During this time? Yeah. I can't say I've seen anything. Like, really? Um, <laughs> there's still been car accidents. I haven't heard. Let me see. I don't think there's been anything crazy. Um... I would figure most people are trying to stay safe. Like They're indoors. trying to stay safe. I haven't seen any firecracker injuries, but it's just the beginning of summer. So yeah, that's going to happen. The 4th of July yeah, is coming it's, up. It's so. going to happen. Yeah. Um, when hoverboards were out, I mean, tons of hoverboard injuries. Um, I haven't. I can't say I've seen anything like crazy, but okay. I've heard 
of like a lot of crazy things. But you have to think about it. Like people are just at home with nothing else to do. Yeah. Stay safe at home. Yeah. Ish. I've heard like so. uh, Netflix streams have gone up a lot. Oh and, yeah. Uh, Hulu, all that kind of stuff. So people my are... my personal Netflix and, and Hulu and Sling and Philo have gone up <laughs> <laughs> significantly. Yeah, so. those so, people yeah. are making bank off of off of that. But yes. uh, so going back to the black people thing about like um, seeing more of them into the ER or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that was like a big. I don't know, weird turn for black people for this pandemic. Because when it first started happening, the rumor was that black people can't get it. Uh-huh. And then after that, it, it was becoming like we were like the most susceptible to uh-huh. it. And so I was listening to uh, a Joe Rogan podcast. He had um, Rhonda Patrick on there. Uh-huh. And they were talking about how black people, because like our the melanin in our skin, what it does is, just, you know, it's not soaking up as much heat from the sun and all the the rays from the sun so it's blocking out some of that which doesn't allow us to get vitamin d as much Mm -hmm. and it was saying that basically vitamin d might be a help in fighting covid Mm -hmm. and it was saying that might be the reason why black people are getting higher numbers of getting covid and then there's also the theory that just because you know, we live in more poverty areas that our, our food isn't as good and our health conditions aren't as good. So that's another reason why we get it. What do you think as far as like what those two, like the vitamin D thing and then I guess just black people in our health situation? So I think the vitamin D thing um, may have something to it. I just need more data to kind of prove that. Um, I think that's the issue right now. Is they yeah, don't have we, enough. We, no, we don't do. We just don't have enough data. Yeah. Um, I think as far as why uh, blacks have been more disproportionately affected from COVID nineteen has to do from a couple of things. Um, most of us are front care or frontline workers, quote unquote, which I'm tired of that term as well. <laughs> but we are the nurses. We are the um, home health workers. We work in fast food. We work in transportation. Um, you know, we are long care. We, we do things with the general public on the front lines all the time. We are the essential workers. So we could not stop working our jobs. I'm a, I'm a doctor. I, I couldn't stop going to work. I, no. I was needed more than ever. Um, so I think that is one thing. And I would like to add into their Native American, I'm not Native Americans, um, Hispanics as well. They're also disproportionately on the front line. And I think that we haven't talked enough about what the Hispanic community has also um, been going through with COVID-19 because in their culture, they live multi-generational in one home. So you might have your grandma and taking care of the great grandbaby in one home. And so it's hard and hard to social distance when you have several generations at home and then people still have to go out and go to the general public and work. So I think that we haven't... um, fully tapped into what happened to the Hispanic community. But I think the same thing with us um, and the black community. We're very communal. We go to church. We we have picnics. We have barbecues. And we are very social. That is what we, we do. We gather together for support. Um, and I think part of our just our innate culture um, has harmed us in a way. Um, we are also disproportionately affected by chronic disease. So your high blood pressure, your diabetes, your asthma, um, and also um, things like um, chronic kidney disease are also disproportionately um, affected in the black community, which is a multitude of, of things um, that causes obesity that. Obesity in general. And obesity, thank yeah. you. And obesity as well. Um, so we're disproportionately affected by that, which 
honestly makes you more at risk for having a serious case of COVID-19. So um, it's just multifactorial. Um, I hate that we we thought at first that black people couldn't get it because I think we could have prevented a lot more cases mm. if people really understood their risk. And um, and I, I don't I don't ever want to scare people, but it's just more like being safer rather than sorry. So I just think it's hard to just say one reason. I was actually listening to um, The Daily from the New York Times, and they did a whole podcast about um, – how COVID-19 impacted the black community in New Orleans. And they talked about um, the big Zulu um, uh, gala that happens like during the Mardi Gras season. And so how many of those men in the Zulu organization unfortunately caught COVID-19 and died. And mm. they highlighted one of the, um, the leaders of the Zulu um, nation there. And, you know, he was just a worker, then all of a sudden got sick, was on a ventilator and unfortunately passed away. So that was a very interesting podcast. But they broke down some of the same things that you were talking about, like the chronic disease, the the racism, the disparities, the health disparities as to why um, black people have been disproportionately affected. Yeah. I mean, they were talking about that in um, just New Orleans from Mardi Gras. Yeah. Because that was in like, was that February? February. February. Yeah. And that's when like this thing started jumping off. Right. Because we shut down, like, or the city started shutting down and things started to close down, like, in early March, at least around these parts. So, so yeah. Interesting. I, I think it's very unfortunate that, I guess, medical places and other places, as far as, like, restaurants and uh, businesses, were just... We didn't have any real direction, you know? Right. Like, even the president and then the whole, all of Congress were right. just, like... Try this. Right. <laughs> yeah. We don't know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, nobody really knew how to how to deal with it. And, I mean, it's really unfortunate, but you can't really expect expect them to make too much of a decision. Because if they had – say if we had shut down everything for the month of March and if we had decided that – we had decided that maybe in the middle of February and we're like, hey, everybody shut down for one whole month – People would be super upset about that. And right. how are you going to get a business to prepare for something like that right. for two weeks? You have two weeks to prepare for an entire month of shutdown. Right. It's going to be super hard for everybody. Right. So right. I, don't, I don't know. I don't really know what, what we could have done that would have been better, quote unquote, but maybe maybe there's something. I don't know. I mean, so that same podcast, The Daily, is my holy grail. Um, and they've been talking about COVID since December. Mm. Um, because they were covering it all the way when it was in Wuhan. So I had heard a little bit about it, but I guess I was trying to just compartmentalize it. So I guess my guess would be if we had just shut down earlier, unfortunately, um, and been more strict and like really just shut it down and just stayed on lockdown. And then, you know, during the lockdown, strategically look at like Italy and China and how they tried to reopen. I think if we had a more disciplined and cohesive strategy with other countries, I think we'd probably been better off. Um, but I think our healthcare system is just so fragmented that it would have been hard to do that anyway because yeah. you have the public health system, like your CDC, your NIH, and your local like health departments, and then you've got hospitals which can be public or private and they all have their own competing interests which is always about money yeah. um <laughs> so it's hard to have a, a unified um 
front against something like this because there's just so many competing different interests. Whereas if you go to your China, your Canada, your Switzerland, um, your Italy, they have a unified healthcare system. So it's easier for them to put the smack down nationwide and be done with something and say, this is the policy. This is, we're going to do it. This is how we're going to do it. But in the U S it's just like, well, what about my money? And, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I was talking to Dr. Weller about, um, like, you know, if you, if what, what do you see lacking in, in the health industry? And what do you think would, if, if you could get more of something, what would it be? And he's like, well, you know, you always want more of everything, but it's, it's kind of crazy thinking about what everybody's been talking about with the defunding of the police and everything. Mm-hmm. And me personally, I th- I don't think police should be defunded. I think their, their money needs to be rerouted because sometimes they're probably getting a lot of money going to the wrong stuff. Mm-hmm. Like even, so I was in the air force and you know, if we didn't spend money, just like pretty much everything else, if we didn't spend money, they take it away. Mm-hmm. And so like, if we didn't, if we had a surplus of money, they'd be like, Hey, what do y'all want to spend this on? Mm-hmm. Just let us know. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's kind of crazy. Like right. <laughs> yeah. thousands of dollars right. are in the hands of people who are just, you know, what do y'all want? Right. right. So right. it's, I think the money should just be better strategically funded uh, for healthcare, for police, for everything. And then I think that would help out a lot better. Well, I think that's just kind of how it works. So, like, I'm a corporate guy. Like, like I work in corporate America, and mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm an IT guy by trade. So, from working with large corporations, from working in the healthcare sector and all different sectors, like you just said, it, we have budgets. Companies have budgets. And strategically, if you don't spend the, um, the amount allocated to your budget, the comp the finance looks at it and says, "Oh, it's X amount of millions of dollars over here that yeah. they didn't use. You don't so need this. You don't need it. <laughs> so then they end up taking it away from your budget. So your budget shrinks. So then, of course, when any time any type of company is looking at uh, cost reductions or anything like that, the first thing they look at is payroll because mm-hmm. payroll is your number one expense mm-hmm. in any business. So you know they say, well, hey, let's 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 trim the tree a little bit. You know what I mean? So then." You know, if a, if a department loses $5 million or $10 million, you know, then you look at salaries and you say, well, hey, I don't need X amount of people, you know. But then, of course, if you look at the structure, you need your worker bees. So you can afford to lose some VPs, some senior level management versus your 50 people to work in the warehouse. Because if you don't have the warehouse workers, the product's not moving or yeah. whatever. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's just strategically kind of how they look at it. But. Like you said, with police, I think that, uh, like you said, reallocate the funds to something more resourceful, right? So, like, for instance, how we buy police cars. Um, You know, they currently use, well, I know here in Memphis, they use uh, Dodge Challengers Mm -hmm. or, you know, Chargers, the Ford. And then they put all that equipment, that heavy equipment and stuff in them. And then, like, our sheriff department here, they run a lot of, like, Tahoes. Mm -hmm. You know, big gas guns, little thirsty you know, yeah. Well, how about a Honda product? You know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean. So it's just you know, and I know I'm speaking. They were those American vehicles. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say because I'm sure people are gonna be like, "This is an American entity. We of should course. buy American." Of course. Yeah. Well, I mean, true, right? So every law enforcement uh, entity across the country, they have large contracts with like yeah. Ford, yeah. General Motors, you know what I mean? So if we want to stay American, which I have no problem with supporting an American product, as we should, let's go back to the table with uh, General Motors and say, hey, GM, you know, we like the Tahoe, but instead of using the regular 
gas guzzling Tahoe. Let's look at the hybrid Tahoe. Yeah. Or let's look at the hybrid this or that. You know, to try to see where can we save money. Now, it may not sound crazy. It may not sound like a savings, but if you can shave 10% of your fuel costs across the whole department or whole state, let's just use a state as an example. Yeah. If you're spending $10 million a year in fuel, if you save 10%, you save a million dollars. Yeah. That don't sound like a lot. Multiply that by the whole country. But th- there you go. Yeah. There you go. That's- so that's that's how that's, that's how you do it. I guess I look at it in a different way. Um, I think when people are saying defund the police, they are saying reallocate the money. Instead of investing in more military-grade stuff for, i.e., the city of Memphis Police Department, why don't we put that into more community policing or put that into a new training program so that new police officers have to stay in Orange Mound for six months and actually really understand what's going on in that community and realize that this person isn't, you know, just committing crime to commit crime. They have multiple social issues that they need to address. Why don't we take that money and invest in training more social workers that get paid a decent salary so that they can reach out to these communities and give them the social services that they need? Why don't we take that money instead of, you know, militarizing the police and, you know, provide more health care to people? to provide free screenings for different things, for actually giving people the resources because most of the most of the calls that police get are not about actual crime. They mm-hmm. are really deep-rooted social issues that just need to be addressed. And the outcome of that is crime, i.e., I'm, I'm born in poverty. I, I don't know how to get anything. I'm trying to hustle on the street, get a couple of dollars so that I can feed, help feed my family. So I get in trouble for hustling, but really I'm just in poverty and I don't have a way to get out. And my school sucks because of where I live and my school isn't funded. So I'm not really getting the greatest educate. It's just a vicious cycle. So there's other ways to stop um, crime indirectly without arresting someone but usually people commit crimes for a reason. Of course, you've got those people out there are just maniacs and are just going to do <laughs> sin just to be, you know, just to sin, just to sin. But there's a lot of people that commit crimes because they have a need. Yeah. And they just are, they're just short. I, I, I need $20 so I can do this or I need this so I can do that. Yeah. And that's why they just, it's crimes of opportunity. Yeah. So um, that's what I think that the movement is really trying to say. And I'm for it. I'm actually super for that. I I agree with reallocating the money to things that we actually need and we're not funding. And I think if we did that, then crime would go down and we wouldn't have to worry about black men being snuffed out on camera. So, Well, I mean, I think you have to look at it. I do agree with what you're saying. Uh, I think you can look at it from because you can look at it from different angles. But I mean, but like one thing, one way that that you look at it is, yes, we do, even though there are social issues that we must tackle also at the same time america is a we believe in the second amendment right you know i mean the right to bear arms so with that being said america love their guns it's just part of our culture we love guns so we have so many people with access to high-powered uh guns you can't have the police walking around with you know let's just say nine millimeter handguns and all of the the their adversaries are walking around with cannons yeah, yeah. i mean you, you see what i'm saying yeah you 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 out you're outgunned in yeah. that 
perspective. But that highlights that highlights another problem that we've continued to talk about in our country and nobody is doing anything about is that why do I as a regular American citizen need an AR-47 or AK-47 or some crazy assault weapon? Why do I need that? Why is that floating around on the street? And if I do have some reason to have it, why do I not have some sort of a background check or something like that to make sure that I am not going to be someone that is going to just haul off and just shoot up my neighborhood or go walk into a school and to shoot a school up? Um, I think America has had multiple times to try to correct some of these rooted issues and we've continued to ignore them. And I just feel like we're at a boiling point. You know, COVID made us all sit down and pay the fuck attention we ain't had nothing to do but watch tv and and to (laughs) jump on a trampoline and to to get random injuries but i think this is why this moment is so pivotal because covid made us stop and then we continue to start to see the errors in our ways as americans and i hope that you know with this momentum it's not just about fighting racism it's not just about fighting police brutality it is truly about making our society more equitable and fair and safe and that means sorry jimmy bob maybe you don't need that you know ar or whatever i'm not a gun girl if you can hear <laughs> right. you, you you don't need this assault rifle but right. you can have this this rifle to you know shoot or go hunt or do whatever you want to do nobody's saying that you can't you know have your guns for sport or for personal protection but mm, right. we need to actually wonder in this country why so many people here feel like they need to have you know personal protection as well um that's a whole other thing. I see, I see, you're like <laughs> that's uh, a whole other thing. You're basically backtracking the the problem. You're saying um, it's it might be okay to have that, but why do you why do you feel the need? Why do you to feel the need? Yeah. yeah, and it might be because there's so many guns already on the streets, and so mm-hmm. people are like, I need to get me a gun. Right. So it's it's kind of like what you were talking about, like right. the police. Like it might be fine for police to just have tasers, but it's not right now. Because so many people have guns. Exactly. So, right, right. <laughs> exactly. They're, they're and out. it's basically unregulated. Yeah. And I say this too. I've, I've had somebody ask me that, like, as soon as I moved down here, they're like, oh, so you're going to get a gun? I was like, for what? <laughs> oh, for protection. I was like, I got Jesus. Like, Jesus been with me the whole time. I'm good over here. Yeah. Like, yes, I have had some crime happen to me, but do I ever feel like I've needed to have a gun to protect myself? Mm-hmm. Mm, can't say that I have. Yeah. Um, but I know, again, I'm from the North, I'm from the Midwest, and so that's a different culture than someone that may be from the South or somewhere else in the country where, man, guns is what you do, you learn how to shoot, yeah. you learn how to, you go hunting with dad, and yeah. you, you know, those are, those, those are the things that you do. It's just... It's just a, it's a, it's a gun culture. We're going to, it's a, it's I'm, a, I'm from, it's a I'm from the South. Culture. You know what I mean? I grew up with my uncles and stuff that had shotguns. My grandfather had shotguns. And, and it, you know, it's, it's never that you... Use them on people, you know. Yeah. He he hunts. I like he likes the great outdoors, you know. Mm. He like to get a little deer or something every now and then, yeah. you know what I mean. But but you know, I, I don't. I think and this conversation could go a whole other direction. But let's just admit nobody has clean hands in yeah. this situation. Oh yeah, yeah, nobody. Nobody has clean hands. So when you start talking about gun reform and cleaning up this and that, understand people who make guns: Smith Wesson, Six Hour, um, all the other gun manufacturers. Our current um, our current ammunitions 
contractor for the United States government, Northrop Grunman, those guys, nobody has clean hands. The munitions, they supply munitions to people all over the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know what I mean? So, yeah. when you start talking about, oh, let's just take guns off the street, let's do this, this, and that. You, you're talking billions and trillion dollar industries, and that's why it hasn't changed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's 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 too many. It's too you, you got you got too many people that you affect when you when, when it's like that. Absolutely, yeah. It, the like the companies you were talking about, like Northrop Grumman and um, and Boeing and right. Lockheed Martin, like right. they they make aircraft for of course other com- other countries, and of course we we try to. So like when I was in the military, um, we had. I think we have three different F-35s, and this is like our newest fighter jet. Mm-hmm. Well, apparently Trump was like, hey, we're wasting money on these things because they're, they're really expensive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I can't remember how much, but there, it's hundreds of millions of dollars oh, to, wow. make these, to make these fighter jets. Mm-hmm. Well, Trump was like, yeah, we're wasting money on these. Stop making them. And they decided, well, we're just going to make them and sell them to other countries. And sometimes we're okay with that. Sometimes we're not okay with that because – we don't want our. We don't want just other countries to have having, our the, technology. Yeah, having yeah. the same technology we have, mm-hmm. but vice versa. Like China and little known fact, we really don't want to go to war with China. Yeah, they're pretty powerful, yeah. and they have a lot of people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we don't want that. Mm-hmm. And um, them and Russia, like those two, mm-hmm. it would we would have a really tough time with them. But. Um, yeah, just like the abilities that other countries would have if they had like everything that we have, it's mm-hmm. it's not good. So the the arms race that you know they say like the Cold War and we had the arms race and everything, mm-hmm. it's still technically going on till this day because we're all competing for um, militaristic advantages, mm-hmm. and that right there is what fuels America. Like we love more. Like mm-hmm. everything has to be more. So. Mm-hmm. It's it's really affects our everyday people. Like everyday people feel like they need more guns, more ammo, more everything, so that we can protect ourselves. But it's right. interesting because I heard, um, and I don't know if this is a fact or not, but when quarantine hit, like gun sales went through the roof. Yeah, because people did. felt like the apocalypse was about to happen. Yeah. Like they thought that when the pandemic hit, like all rules were going to get broken. I mean, you saw with the riots, like people started smashing in yeah. windows and offices yeah. and stuff like that's that. True. So people felt like I need to get more guns and more ammo to yeah. protect myself. That's so true. Well, they felt crime was going to go up yeah, because you have people who are, you know, they're not employed, um, <laughs> you know, for whatever reasons, because due to, pan, uh, due to the pandemic, lack of resources, lack of resources. So they feel like, Oh, well, you know, this subset of people is going to rob me or they're going to try to, you know, commit a crime against me. There were lines lined up outside of gun stores nationally. Yeah. You, and gun stores got considered essential. You, you know yeah, what which I mean? is crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> gun stores were considered essential. Yeah. So, like, literally, Academy Sports um, sold out of bullets. They literally, the, the shells were clean. Oh, my they, God. They sold out of 9mm and forty caliber bullets. Wow. Yes. I saw it with my own eyes. <laughs> I was in the store. I was like, holy hell. That's I mean, crazy. Li- yeah, literally. Li- so, I mean, you know, that that just, and like I said, I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not disparaging guns. I'm yeah, just, yeah. I'm just stating the facts, right? Yeah. It is what it is. Yeah. I mean, but America runs on capitalism. Mm-hmm. We are a very capitalistic society. It's what we are. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's just the way that it is here. So, you know, one action 
affects another action. If you take this away, then how many people over here do you affect? If you take that away, then you affect this subset of people. You know, so it's just it's just kind of the, it's our culture here. Yeah, I was listening to uh, Elon Musk talk, and he was like, um, you know, the he he was really for us not shutting down. Like he was really for like maybe a two week shutdown, and then like, hey, let's get back to going because. Right. You know, him with all his stuff, he's got, so he's got that boring company where he's yeah. trying to like dig holes and tunnels in, um, in LA or yeah. maybe all of California, but basically you're the face you're making means you don't know what he's talking about. No, so. I, I know Elon Musk because of Tesla and him being like the weird genius that he yeah, is, yeah. but he's boring holes in, in California. Correct. Well, he so, wants to build a Hyperloop. So That's his idea is, okay. is that flying cars is stupid. He's like. If you if everybody has like a flying car, you know people think about that for the future. Yeah. He's like flying cars. That means everybody's a pilot now. So if everybody's flying in the air with no rules or anything, then what happens if the car goes dead? Okay. When you're on the ground, if your car goes dead, you just stop. If you're in the sky, you gonna crash and it hit crashes. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, yeah. So flying cars is a dumb idea. But if we build holes under the ground, then people can easily just go underground travel at hundreds of miles per hour to wherever you need to go and then you're just there Freaking instantly Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> shake his hand he's like that's that's pretty much the whole purpose of like the tr- the underground like uh sub train systems yeah. is you know all the train systems in like new york and whatnot yeah. they're just they can go as fast as they want to they, they just get to where they need to go and then they're, yeah. then they're done yeah so it's a pretty good idea uh, a lot of california companies were against it because mm-hmm. they were like hey you're digging Holes in my ground. <laughs> right. But my other thing is, is, isn't California like one earthquake away from just being like broken off from the United States anyway? Yeah. <laughs> so, so what do you have to lose? I yeah. guess but just a bunch of money. And a lot time. of people use that argument against him. They mm-hmm. say that uh, the earthquakes are going to be like, you're digging holes in the ground. They've got, yeah. they've got earthquakes. He's like, actually, earthquakes, uh, the worst part of the earthquake is actually uh tertiary like on the ground level because the ground collapses but if you know when it collapses everything underneath is fine because mm-hmm. the, the earthquake doesn't happen underneath it happens on the ground level mm-hmm. so it's there's nothing going on mm-hmm. freaking Elon Musk. the last <laughs> thing i heard about him is that him and his baby mother were trying to name their future child or i don't know if the child has been born yeah it's some, already been like, born. some com- combination of like letters and numbers yeah, that yeah. like nobody can pronounce and like nobody will let him do it like yeah, that's right. the last thing i've heard about <laughs> Elon Musk. Right. yeah they but, named it and it's like uh it looks like the letter a and then e and then like 12 something yeah, like, like that's the, that's the kid's name what? <laughs> Your kid that like how A-12. do you pronounce it like a12 i mean uh, elon musk is uh, so he's he's a genius right i yeah. mean certified yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely yeah, he, he's, he's, he's incredible a, he's, a, he's a genius and i mean so he's a we give elon guy. musk for credit for a few things a lot of people don't know you know he started paypal yeah yeah you, you know so he was he was on that then he took that money and flipped it then he started tesla so then elon musk was able to prove the tesla battery powered car model at scale mm-hmm. and so he has proven that now it's still a relatively expensive technology yeah but he proved that it works so now other companies are starting like porsche has taken the, i've seen that technology uh, they got what is a take yeah 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 the that porsche. thing is sexy oh yeah yeah <laughs> it is it is so and a porsche is a performance car yeah you know what i mean a porsche is a performance car with battery technology yeah a Tesla is a battery car, is a battery technology wrapped around a car. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a whole different experience. Yeah. So, you know, 
of course, Porsche just took it and made it better. Yeah. And as other companies will do the same thing. Have you seen that Ford Mustang? Yeah. I've yeah. seen it. Not really a fan. I'm gonna be honest, man. I'm 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 a good old V8, V10, V12 yeah, yeah. kind of guy. You know what I mean? The 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 battery thing doesn't really get my juices flowing. Why why not? It's because it doesn't give you that rev, that 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 yeah, like, that power that you I, need. Listen, when I drive <laughs> uh, like I, I like big motors, I like sports cars, I like exotics. When I crank up my Ferrari or my Lamborghini or my Mustang, I want to hear that engine roar. Yeah, yeah. It's part of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Where do I read? It, it, well, I'm just saying. You know, when when I get to that point in life. Okay. I'm about you to know, say, you want you know, me calling out. You know what I mean? When I get to that point in life, when I get my Corvette and get in my Z06 Corvette, yeah. I want to feel when I shift it, yeah. the, the transition of the transmission and the engine and it all coming yeah. together. It's 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 a... It's a uh, an adrenaline rushed feeling that yeah. you you don't get that well, from battery. Well, that's how I feel when I'm gonna have my Harley. I don't, I don't want a little crotch rocket. I want to feel the weight and the power of mm. a of a real Harley. And they have like electric motorcycles, and people are like that. Nah. It, t- yeah. it takes away from yeah. the yeah. <laughs> right. It takes no. away from the feel. Right, right. And then nobody can hear you coming on an electric motorcycle. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Some people have made that case that it's kind of dangerous to have like yeah. electric cars because yeah. you can't hear them around a corner or turning mm-hmm. or something like that. So mm-hmm. that's that's pretty wild though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm all for the innovation. I'm all for um, us figuring out new stuff and everything right. like that. But yeah, some people just, some people just like that feel, right. like the analog. So like even with like my music and everything, um, I use all plugins. Like mm-hmm. I, everything's electric. I don't have any like analog plugins. And some mm-hmm. people like when they're making music, they're like, hey, I want, you know, this compressor, this limiter, this reverb and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And they want it analog. They mm-hmm. want the physical thing in the room with them instead mm-hmm. of just like the digital plug in. Mm-hmm. Because some people say it, um, it gives a much better sound. Mm-hmm. And then other people are like, I just like having it there in the room with mm-hmm. me instead of just like on my computer. So right. Right. I was actually asking Dr. Weller about um, the future of like surgeries and stuff like mm-hmm. that as far as having the technology. Because I've seen. Um, have you seen those videos of like the robots doing the surgery? Mm-hmm. That's pretty wild. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's been hap. Well, to a certain extent, that's been happening. Um, there's lots of robotic um, GYN surgeries that they've been doing, but there's still mm. like there's a patient on the table here. There may be two surgeons in the room, but they're literally in the opposite corners and they're like operating like it's like a video game. Mm. And so I remember when I was in medical school, I was watching a hysterectomy. Uh, a robotic guided um, hysterectomy. It's just able to be less invasive and all those other things. So they still had to, the surgeon still had to walk into the, like to the patient and do certain things to the patient directly. But the actual, some of the stitching and removing they were doing robotically. So but what, I know that they have like some robots that are almost like completely like just do it themselves for the most part. Okay, I was about I to think, ask. Were I the, think were I'm the pretty robots sure. able to do it completely by themselves, or was it guided? Like it's guided. It's almost okay. so. What I what I've experienced and what I and what I've seen is literally like you're controlling, you're controlling the hands. Oh, okay. Like it's my hands doing it, but it's the robot's hands over yeah. there on yeah. the patient doing it. If that makes any sense. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so you yeah. understand, and I know you know, artificial intelligence is leading the way on that type of on that type of Absolutely. technology. Yeah. So the the way that the technology works and the way that with the internet, the expansion of the internet, 
will have the bandwidth power for somebody to be sitting on an island in somewhere in the Caribbean or wherever. And if you know, if you are a doctor with a specialized skill set and you're on vacation and they need somebody to perform a surgery right now, that doctor can flip over their laptop, get an internet connection. You know, you, of course, you need proper bandwidth to do it, but then you can sit there and control that robot in the emergency room or wherever, operating room, to be able to, to perform that surgery. That's where that technology is going. That type of. It's, that it's, makes me nervous. <laughs> Why does it make well, you nervous? It makes me nervous because. Because of what could it, go wrong? It, well, no. I, it makes me nervous because I feel like we're losing less and less touch in medicine. Mm. Um, you know, what's his name? Uh, Secretary of HUD. Uh, Dr. Ben Carson. Ben, Dr. Ben Carson. He was healing hands, yes. right? That was the name of his book and his um, his um, biography. And I take that really personally as a doctor. Like, gifted, he, gifted hands. Yes, gifted hands. Okay. But, like, if I'm touching someone, I, I truly believe that I have healing power that mm-hmm. – Sometimes just giving, just putting your arm around somebody can just be healing. Yeah. And I feel that medicine, as technology has developed over, you know, the last hundred years, we're really losing the touch. Hmm. There's honestly, really, no reason for me to examine a patient anymore. I, I mean, I put my stethoscope on people for show sometimes and for also sometimes I might be listening for something specific, but to diagnose you, I don't necessarily need to use the same cues that we had to have like back in the 1800s and 1900s because we didn't have x-rays and CT scans and medicine and antibiotics and things like that. So as we've developed more and we've learned more about medicine and had technology, I can touch you less and less. Oh, you hurting? Where are you hurting at? Oh, right here? Okay, maybe that's your gallbladder. Let's either get an ultrasound or let's get a CT scan. Boom. It needs to come out or it's fine. Mm. And get blood work. But it's just less and less of that touch. And I think that our society needs that more of just healing hands or gifted hands of people touching them. We are not – I think that's part of the reason why people had such a hard time with the pandemic as well because you can't – touch anybody you have to be six feet apart man do you know how many hugs i really 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 miss because of the pandemic um i don't know that's why it makes me nervous i just feel like we're becoming further and further apart in ways instead of getting closer and closer together i think social media brings us together in a certain way but then technology also brings us apart yeah so i just think as far as healthcare is concerned we just really have to be careful because at the end of the day you know it's a healing art mm-hmm. and it's a science, but it's, there's still some human to human touch that needs to happen. Yeah. I, feel, I feel like uh, we're getting closer and closer socially together, but just emotionally, not, uh, not as so much together as you're saying, yeah. like we don't, we don't have to, you know, we can just call somebody, you know, back then, if you want to see somebody, you had to be, you had to go see them, right. you know, 1800s, whatever, 1900s, you had to actually go there and you couldn't just like pick up the phone and call somebody. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, now we, we can do FaceTime. You were talking about doing all the zoom meetings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which some, some people are probably happy about that. Yes. Cause they're like, Oh, I don't have to go to an actual meeting. I can just right. do this zoom from home mm-hmm. and boom, there you go. So that but, that's, that's interesting. But I mean, but the pandemic also from a, so if you want to talk from a good point of the pandemic 
it it exposed the technology at a lot of companies and places. So what the, the like the lack thereof, the lack, and the thereof. lack thereof, yeah, right. So it forced tech, it forced companies and organizations to become more innovative in their approach yes. to how they use technology. You know what I mean? So like a lot of people. So I, like I said, I understand technology from the ground up. So a lot of companies were still using Windows Seven. Mm. Well, for those that don't know, Microsoft doesn't even support Windows Seven anymore. Yeah. So they're not even providing updates. So here it is. You're running an out of date. Uh, I'm not gonna say, and I'm not gonna say, uh, uh, it's obsolete. Yeah, it's still <laughs> relevant, but it's obsolete, right? Because Windows yeah. 10 been around for years. So you're running a system that has multiple potential security threats and this and that. Then you're holding people's data, different mm-hmm. this and that. So then, of course, you got all these people working from home, and then a lot of the average person don't understand how the internet works. They don't understand how. The router, the Wi-Fi in their, in their houses work. So of course they have, you know, subpar internet connections. They trying to do all these high bandwidth Zoom calls, yeah. Microsoft Team calls, and different different things like that. And it's just showing that oh, you, a lot of people were not prepared mm-hmm. for how the pandemic. Like so, for instance, the pandemic where I work forced seventy percent of our workforce globally to work from home. So you talking hundreds of thousands, you talking hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, Jeez. Tens of yeah, over a hundred thousand people. Yeah. Over a hundred thousand people had to work from home. Now, you, how do you feel about that moving forward? Because I felt <laughs> I thought it was kind of hilarious. I was like, well, if you've got this many people working from home now, right. can they just keep doing it? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, so it it did a few things. Number one, it forced the company to look at all of its operations top down, mm-hmm. right? To say, oh, well, you know, hell, we, you know, we pay for this much real estate over here. We got a fifty thousand square foot building over here. We don't need that. Yeah. yeah. When when eighty percent of the people in the building was working from home, yeah, we don't need that anymore. <laughs> so so it, it's making us shrink operations. Mm-hmm. We're 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 doing several cost out initiatives right now. That that is my daily grind. Every day I wake up and live and breathe. How do we save the company money? Mm. Do we trim out this circuit? Do we take this service out? Do we t- take this out? Customers don't need this. Employees don't need that. We don't need 50 printers anymore. Now we just need five. Mm-hmm. You, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So, so it, it re, once again, we're reallocating money because we're caught, we're saving the company. You know, now is it due to the pandemic? Everybody can go back to their landlords and say, you know what? Hey, look, I know we signed a 15 year lease on this, but uh, we need to cut that down about five. Yeah. You know, come on, work with us on that. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So so this forced the companies globally to become more resourceful with the resources that they have. Yeah. So a lot of our people currently work from home. They're still working from home. And our company has actually said, you know, hey, look, we're not going to force you to go back to work. Uh, go back to the building if you can still perform your job um, successfully yeah. working from home. So it's it. The pandemic actually for it probably pushed us ahead in society probably by ten years maybe. Hmm. You know what I'm saying because yeah. it forced the use of Zoom, Microsoft Teams, um, uh, all these virtual platforms. You know Skype is going away; it's being retired. Hmm. Um, yeah, so that's why they built out Microsoft Teams. So Microsoft Teams will replace Skype. Maybe that's why Google Hangouts stepped stepped up so much yeah. too. Yeah. So Google is trying to compete because you know Google Google is its own 
uh, ecosystem, technical ecosystem. It yeah. has like Hangouts and Google Docs and Google this and Google that. Yeah. They want to compete with um, Microsoft. And the thing I like about Google is that Google is actually agnostic, right? You can use it mm-hmm. on any platform, mm-hmm. iOS, Linux, Windows, Mac, PC, you know, all that. So, you know, it's, 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 it's very, it, we live in a very interesting time right yeah. now. I'm, I'm, I'm really been interested in what, what will come out of all this because I feel like, you know, what, whatever industry you're in, mm-hmm. how do they respond? Mm-hmm. Like, how do they respond to, you know, the lack of technology mm-hmm. or, you know, just having the people not coming to work and then showing back up to work? It's like, oh, yeah, you could have just you know, yeah. not come back into work, you know? Yeah. So I'm, I'm really hopeful that people, you know, I, I actually work as an automation technician at Owens Corning. Okay. So, uh, there's some, I guess, more corporate people who are like the engineers for the company. They're talking about how they haven't been to work. You know, they've been doing everything from home. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, mm-hmm. you should be able to tell them, like, hey, can I just keep working? From home? <laughs> yeah. Some people don't like working from home. Mm-hmm. They they're like, oh, I can't get as much done because I'm at home. So if I I just want to go get a beer, I can just go get a beer. And mm-hmm. then other people are like, it's the best thing ever because you know I'm with my family mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So. But even even what you were talking about, where the medical is like, you know, those people haven't, they didn't have a choice. You mm-hmm. know, they had to, right. they had to go to work. So, mm-hmm. right. I think I think being able to have a company that is flexible like that, as you said, it pushed us forward. Right. Like as you said, about ten years. So. Well, I mean, when you look at restaurants, I mean, like for instance, like healthcare restaurants, just for instance, healthcare, right? Hospitals, they there are some things that you just simply cannot do from your house. You cannot mop a hospital floor at your house. Correct. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. You, you, you cannot admit a patient that walked through the front door at your house. Mm-hmm. You need to physically be there to say, you know, hey, welcome to so-and-so hospital. Welcome to so-and-so office or whatever. You know, sign this form, do this, do this, blah, blah, blah. And, I mean, all that will change eventually, but there are some things that you must, you must have. You must have facilities. Facilities people have to be on the facility, mm-hmm. right? You know what I mean? So you can't work virtually. Same thing with, you know, fast food restaurants or restaurants, period. They, a lot of them lost revenue, but the smart ones said, look, stood back and say, hey, look, we got to re-innovate our process. You, you, The CDC required us to close our doors. We have to operate at half capacity or we can't allow people in at all. I've, I've talked to a couple of restaurant owners. What they did was they redid their, their retooled their POS system. They shaved down their menus. I was like, look, if you're smart, you attack, you do a cost out analysis on every item you sell on your menu. And actually sell. Yes, <laughs> that you actually sell, right? Because a lot of these places with these really inflated menus, like, for instance, like Cheesecake Factory. I was about to say Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> it's, 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 I love you, Cheesecake Factory, but your menu is yeah, too big. Cheesecake Factory is like reading a, a dissertation almost. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's like it's like 20 pages. Absolutely. Literally. Oh, so, so you know, it's like, oh, I thought I want chicken fingers. You flip it over. Oh, oh maybe no. I want fish and chips. Oh, then you flip it over. The Kobe beef burger looks great. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? So it's, it's so many options. Yeah. There, there's a study that's done when you give humans too many options you confuse them there's a there's a saying a confused mind says no that's right hmm. that's right so <laughs> if you simplify the menu for the restaurants you take it to a all carry out or takeout uh, uh concept mm. and then you just streamline it. a lot of people mad at starbucks right now you know because for different reasons socially but starbucks put out a public statement and said 
before the pandemic, they crunched their numbers. 80% of their sales was from their mobile app. People was ordering coffee before paying for it, and then they just go to their local Starbucks and pick it up. So now Starbucks just announced like three days ago they're closing 400 stores. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. they're, they're, That's crazy. They're closing 400 stores, and and a lot of them they're reformatting them yeah. for just carry out only. You know, borderline kiosk at that point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> carry out only. Carry out drive through only. That's it. I mean, not carry out. I mean, uh, drive through only. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Because 80 percent of your people, people are like, I hate to, I don't want to disparage the human race, but a lot of them, especially the millennials. And the ones after the millennials, all they know is technology. Yeah. So when you give them a phone and an app and you say, hey, do this, then eventually they they, they learn, they keep doing it, and then they show their parents or whatever. So now you have the generation, the older generations, learning technology, and you just get them accustomed to doing it a certain way, then you just force technology on them. But they also incentivized it. I think you get like some sort of a discount or a point or something like that. Anytime you incentivize something, that's going to drive people to do that as well. Right. There's, there's a lot of companies that like restaurants that do that. Like um, they'll give you a discount or a right. credit on like your next order. Mm-hmm. If you right. download the app, even right. like Uber eats, you know, Postmates, things like that. They, they give credits out. They give money back. They now give think about discounts. all yeah. this data that Starbucks has your local coffee shop. They have, right. They know who you are. They know where you live. They know what you drive because if you say, oh, yeah, just bring it out to my car. Like if you pull up, I'm in the black Honda. Mm-hmm. They know you drive a 1999 Honda Accord. This black four-door. It, it's right there. You, yeah. you see what I'm saying? So now they have all this 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 data on their customers. They can data mind you, flip the, you know, flip their products and, and you know, sell you other products. Mm-hmm. Expand in other ways. But that's dangerous. I mean, but I would have. It's it, got its pros and cons. It, it has its pros and cons. It is. But as we're learning, of course, with the whole Facebook incident and the whole, you know, Russian data hacking thing, there's a lot of information about ourselves out there. There was even uh, recently I saw something about Google Chrome. You know how they like have their incognito window. Don't tell me. Oh, yeah. I only use Chrome. I only use Chrome as well. (laughs) I use Safari for like one thing that I have to do. And then I just use literally Mm -hmm. 99% of everything else I do. But they had something recently about uh, the incognito window. Like you can just pull that. They were like, yeah, we have something that um, I think has been breached from the incognito windows. And I was like, that's crazy. Uh, (laughs) So my incognito isn't really incognito. That's what it seems like. So Google, they yeah. slipped up on that one. Right. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, like I said, with yeah. the whole incognito thing, y- you have to understand how how servers work, how IP addresses work, yeah. how NAT works, which is network address translation, how subnets work, how VLANs work. In layman terms, anytime you log on a technical device, a computer, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say if I got on a computer on your Wi-Fi right now, my computer your, your router assigns my computer an IP address. Mm-hmm. The IP address is then, at the IP address is translated on your network, and it goes back through your router, and it goes to, who, to through whoever your ISP is, which is your internet service provider. It goes back to that knock, and it sends that data, and it says, hey, IP address 10.192.blah, blah, 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 or whatever is trying to access this amount of information, and it just passes through their switch. So they can identify 
what type of computer you're using because every computer has something called a MAC address. Any type of device that uses that gets on the Internet has a network card in it. It's called a MAC address. That MAC address is burned in. You cannot change it. IP addresses change, but the MAC addresses never change. So when you assign those, when you use those across the network, they know what you're using. Like, for instance, if you use Comcast at your house, I'm just throwing an example. (laughs) If you use Comcast and, and you have two smart TVs, a PlayStation, an Xbox, five laptops, three cell phones. Everything has its own MAC address. Mm -hmm. So Comcast can run the numbers or Xfinity can run the numbers and they know in this zip code, we have this many smart TVs. We have this many iPhone users. We have this. Then you can break it out. iPhone 8, iPhone 9, iPhone 11, you know, Android. So they know this. So unless you actually pay for something called VPN where you can hide all your IP addresses and you reroute that traffic across the internet to where it's blanketed, where it's like dark, the incognito piece to the Google side, it's, you know, it's really not exactly incognito. (laughs) It really just more so personal reasons, really. Right. It's not so much for like the people on the other side. (laughs) Right. It really more so just hides you from advertisers in a sense. I just yeah. like it when you talk about technology. <laughs> <laughs> yes. When you talk about IP addresses, ISPs, VPNs, routers. That's what I, I do. feel tingly on the inside. I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. I, I hope the listeners feel tingly as well. I hope y'all feel tingly too. They're probably like, Lord, who are these people? Where, where, where did y'all find these yeah, my wife, people? Yeah, my wife kind of hates that too. Like, I'll, I'll try to explain it to her. I'm like, this is actually like, you can use this. Like, yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> every day. Not, like, I, it's funny because all the stuff that he knows about that kind of stuff, not that many people know it now, mm-hmm. but like maybe 20 years down the road, that might be the standard for like every human to right. know right. that kind of stuff. Right. Right. He's just ahead of the game as far as like actually knowing what it is and how it works. Like the average person doesn't know how their cell phone works. Exactly. Right. Zero. They have zero clue. <laughs> zero clue. But maybe 10. The average or... person doesn't know that a black man invented the cell phone either. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you, yeah, you know the, the story behind that? I, I forgot the black guy's name. It was, I forgot his name, but he had the. Oh. He worked for Motorola. Really? And, yeah. So he figured out how the wireless technology worked. Mm. He figured out how to throw the the uh the radio signals wirelessly from a phone to a receiver and back to um back to the phone okay. to to, to like trans- send and receive packets yes to transmit voice oh. yeah he was an engineer for Motorola uh, I forgot the guy's name but he figured that out that's interesting yeah. so was Motorola the first cell phone inventors uh, Motorola owns the patents for the wireless technology oh. so that- no I'm sorry he was this is not who I'm thinking of this is a white guy I'm thinking of this. I thought was it maybe the mobile phone? The 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 if you look up the the black guy who invented who worked for Motorola, he was an engineer. He worked at Motorola. He might have invented the the concept, maybe like the technology, but maybe not the first actual phone. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, those are two different things. Yeah, he didn't invent the phone. He invented the technology. Right. I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. But this I do for, know for a fact: a black woman invented caller ID. That is true. Oh, okay, I didn't yes. know that. That's interesting. Very interesting because I always wanted to know who was calling. And she, finally, <laughs> she finally helps out. But see, so. Motorola's a huge player. Like mm. it, right. even though you don't see them anymore, like you don't, you know, yeah, they're a huge player on Those the radio razors. side. That's <laughs> right, <laughs> Motorola Razor. The Motorola Razor was the number one selling phone yeah. on the planet Earth. They tried it, to bring it back. It still yeah. holds the number one title. They sold more phones than anybody, any other even, carrier. Even through um, Apple iPhone. Oh yeah, they got them beat. 
That's crazy. They got to be. Look, look it up. The well, Motorola I mean, Razor. Like, so you have, how many iPhones do you have? Me? Yeah. Uh, at my house or that I just use? That, or? that you per- personally use. I personally just use one. All right. So back then people Apple probably products. had like five, <laughs> five yeah. razors. Yeah. yeah. You're right. That was a throwaways. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> then they had all, they had the gold edition. They had the red edition. Yeah. yeah. They had all the special Which they edition. probably still use those as like those, like the kiosk phones where you just like, I just need to make a phone call like mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. You could probably still do that. Yeah. And like in those movies where like secret agents are like, I need this phone. Then yes. they like use it. Then they just throw it. Like, yeah. It's probably a razor phone. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> so they're, they're just getting sales off of that right there. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I actually used to work for um, a company dealing with. Like the cell phone towers, mm-hmm. um, I didn't actually put um, the satellites on top of the the cell phone towers. I actually just did like um, what's it called telephone poles. Okay. So Nokia made most of that stuff, mm-hmm. and I was like, when I was like opening up the boxes, getting our equipment out to work, I was like, Nokia. Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah, Nokia makes all this stuff, and I was like, no. <laughs> yep. So I bought a bunch of stocks in Nokia, yep. but they've been really up and down. Like right now, I'm actually in a negative for Nokia, mm-hmm. but um, it's not by much. It's by, I think, like 20 bucks, and I think I have like 30 shares. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, they're they're one of those things that they could you know drastically take off. That's why I bought mm-hmm. some stocks in them, but they, they may, they're like one of those big-time players in the, yeah. the future of 5G that yeah. we're trying to take off with, but... Who knows? Like, well, Nokia is huge on uh, on the other side of the planet. So mm-hmm. they're, they're huge in China. You, you know, know their origin? Like what country? Because um, um, Nokia is not an American name. No, no, <laughs> it's not. Um, I can't remember. I used to know. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's like Scandinavian or I have um, no idea. somebody, but I, I, I can't. I can't remember. Don't hold me to that. But yeah, but Nokia, Nokia is a big player. Mm. They, they're, they're a big player. They kind of fell off the phone market. Like if you, but if you Google Nokia right now, they sell a lot of phones. Those brick phones were crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. In China and stuff yeah. like that, other markets, because the the markets here are regulated heavily. Yeah. So you know the FCC controls what goes across mm-hmm. the waves, and then the big cell phone players here, the big four, which is Sprint, Verizon, T-Mobile, and AT and T, they pay. Hundreds of millions of dollars, if not trillions of dollars. Um, I mean, not trillions. Hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars, to keep everybody else locked out. Yeah. So that's why the that's why the cell phone market here is so heavily regulated. Yeah. Because they control who can enter the U.S. market. Mm. So that's why they got those handcuffs on Huawei. Huawei's got that yeah. phenomenal technology, and then America's like, no, yeah, they, they don't want it. You're a bunch of spies. Well, so <laughs> that's why you can buy Android phones like the Android Plus One mm-hmm. or the 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 um I forgot the name of the other Android phone, but anyway, in China or the markets like European markets, if you buy an Android based phone, it's unlocked. Yeah, over here. It's locked down to the carrier, right? Mm. And then, of course, the carrier installs all that bloatware on it, so, <laughs> so they control it. Yeah, you, you know what I mean. So, so therefore, you know, Verizon or Sprint, you know, if, if they or, for instance, Samsung. Samsung is the number one maker of Android phones, right? Yeah. yeah. But then Samsung installs their software on it, but then they sell the devices to the carriers, and then the carriers say, oh, put this software, put this on it, this on it. So it's locked down to that. But if you just get just a straight, raw Google experience, 
it's it's so much different than a, than a, than a lockdown phone. Yeah, it's a it's a lot more it's a lot more powerful in a sense. Yeah, I mean, I I love what Apple's doing. Uh, so right now I'm waiting for WWDC for when they release their new technology, but because um, I'm I'm going to get a new iMac. Uh, okay. The what is it called? The T2 chips that they have in yeah. there. Yeah, their phones. They're thinking about Apple's actually considering putting their chips in their computers, yeah. so they're going to get away from Intel. Mm-hmm. And everybody's like, "Whoa, mm-hmm. <laughs> wait a minute!" Mm-hmm. So I think that's going to be really interesting. Do you have a Do you have a take on that? Well, so of course, with the advent of five G and everything, you know, like you just said, the chipsets they want to take away. They being Apple, Apple pays a tremendous amount of money to to Intel to license those chips that they put inside of those devices, right? So Motorola is the number one chip maker. Well, I know they used to be on the planet. Um, they make a lot of chips for Samsung. They make chips for Apple devices, blah, blah, blah. So Intel is the firepower behind some of those chips. Motorola may make the actual chip, but the Intel part is the actual mathematical computation. They have mm-hmm. all of the how the chips are wafered and how yeah. the, the how they're actually physically put together. A lot of that runs on Intel, right? So Apple wants to get away and start putting those other chips in other devices so you can have cellular technology inside of like an iMac. So you can get away from, they want to get away from being chained by mm-hmm. Intel. So with 5G, 5G requires a different type of chip because it's that, um, it's that millimeter wave technology. So you need it's not the standard chip that's inside of a regular cell phone. Mm-hmm. So that you know, because the millimeter waves are really, really short waves. So you have to have those specialized chips that can actually take those waves and process the the information. Is that what like all the chips that are like fourteen or seven nanometers? Is that what they're talking about? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you need th- th- those chips are they're really small, but it's the way that they're designed that, to pick up the frequencies. So, like, your phone has several chips in it, right? So, it, it has a Bluetooth chip in it because it has a Wi-Fi chip in it. It has a processing chip in it that runs every all the other chips on the board. And then it has the chip in it that can see the radio waves from the cellular tower. Okay. So, then when you add another chip in it, which is the millimeter, the millimeter wave, which is 5G, it's its own chip. So, of course, when you're running that technology inside of a phone, it's only so much real estate you have. Yeah, yeah. The chips have to be separated from, from so far because they give off heat. So the heat part of the phone, you know, you have to some, – some engineer has to figure out how to put all those chips on the board and run them at high speeds without overheating the device. Yeah. So there's a lot so, of technology goes in that. So is that why some Samsung phones were exploding? Because they were just poorly engineered and... They... Oh, man. <laughs> what? I think that's a... No. That's a legitimate that, question. That, that, that's the actual truth. Yeah. Um, it's like a yeah and no. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's a yes and no. I'm, I'm jumping in in the one part that I might know something that's going on yeah. in this yeah. conversation. <laughs> when, when Samsung that's put the Note 9 out, which I was really, really geeked about. I was really, I was going to pull see, the trigger and get a look note Look at nine. God. He protected you. <laughs> well, you had yeah, got yeah. on an airplane. Well, you know. <laughs> yeah, those things. So what happened with that, and, and you're, you're right, the firmware, the firmware is the, it's the BIOS of any computer device, right? So the BIOS just tells the chips how to talk to each other. It talks, it, it says, you do this, you do that, you do that, you do that, you turn on, you do this. So the, the the firmware inside of those Samsung phones 
was not operating in a mo- in the most efficient manner. Mm. So it was causing the 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 fans inside of the phones to try to constantly cool them down because the mm. chips were overheating. Okay, and that's what was causing the chips to explode. Mm. Uh, yeah, okay. yeah. So that's why Samsung immediately had to clean that. I mean, that was a very expensive mistake because yeah. they had to recall all those phones. They had to take yeah. them. They had mm-hmm. to melt them down and start over, basically. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it hurt them. But but then, of course, they bounced back with the Note 10. And, you know, now they have the Samsung S20 out, the S10. I mean, Samsung is the premier Android yeah, device. So. And, and And they make a lot of technology for Apple phones. Yeah. So yeah, that's what a lot of I guess Apple users don't know is like a lot of the stuff is actually Samsung stuff right. inside mm-hmm. of it. That's right. Yeah, you might as well just get your Android. <laughs> <laughs> I actually yeah. think so. Um, I I love Samsung. I had Samsung's phone for a while, but reason why I got an Apple phone was because of the. It's like better for business. Like mm-hmm. when you're sending and receiving files from mm-hmm. somebody. Apple doesn't compress everything. So, like, if you send, you ever sent a video to somebody who has a Samsung phone? He sent me videos, and he, like, shows up, like, this big on my yeah. screen. What happens is, like, the Samsung phones compress the file, mm-hmm. and so it makes it look all crappy. Mm-hmm. But in Apple, there is, like, yeah, we'll just send in the original file. Right. <laughs> so they basically send a better version of that file, well, the best version of the file, but mm-hmm. it's usually, like, a bigger file size. Mm-hmm. And that's the issue is, but Apple's, like, just pay us more money. We'll give you more memory, and you can have better stuff. <laughs> yeah, and then part of the problem too, when you're transmitting large files across wireless networks, I mean, you you run into network congestion, right? Yeah. So of course, A lot of traffic. Yeah. So there are very very fine print legal agreements from the cellular carriers when they when they make these devices, they say, hey, look, your devices cannot transmit only so much data across our network mm. because it causes congestion, network congestion. So out, so like when you're out, let's just say you're just riding around a city somewhere or you're in another city, you're traveling, and you notice how your phone is slow. The network is slow. You're looking yeah. at Facebook and it's loading slowly. It's, it's, it's congestion. So that comes from people sending large files across the network. Yeah, it, There are multiple there are millions of bytes of data transmitting across that network at any given time. Yeah. Somebody's streaming, somebody's watching Netflix, somebody's watching YouTube, somebody's texting, somebody's uploading pictures, downloading. It's a lot going on. So that's that's why you get that. That Do you, you run into that at hospitals? Like you're trying to use your phone or something and you're unable to to use it because it's just like – you know, I mean, obviously now you know it, it, people who didn't know is it's because it's busy in the in the area. Um, it depends on the hospital, but yes, it has happened, and I just have had poor signal in some hospitals as well. <laughs> Memphis VA that does not have um, <laughs> Wi Fi for people to use. Um, but it's basically a dead zone in there. But um, there's been certain um, cell phone companies to actually, and you would be able to explain this probably a little bit better. Like put hubs in certain hospitals yeah so i had sprint for a very long time and i had a hard time at methodist with Mm -hmm. my sprint phone but somebody told me that at&t and verizon was typically better Mm -hmm. in that hospital and they said i guess they put some sort of a hub or something like that so that it would boost the signal or or what have you basically improve the cell phone function in there it's called a femto cell and what it is is that the whoever hospital they call the carrier and they say, hey, look, we have X amount of AT&T users or X amount of Verizon users here or whatever. 
we want to boost the coverage. So what they do is they send a um, they send a, a, a site survey uh, analysis. Uh, they come out and do a site survey analysis. So they send a wireless analyst out to your site. They look at how many floors of the hospital. They look at the texture of the building. If it's brick, if it's metal, da da da. The floors, how many devices metal you have inside, and they do what's called a uh, a wireless site survey. They look at how much interference you have, how many wireless access points you have. It's a whole big technical process in it. But once they do that, then they come out and they install these little Femto cells, which is in layman terms, it's really a repeater. Mm-hmm. It's a wireless repeater that plugs into your current Wi-Fi network or your your routed your circuit on the on site, and it broadcasts specifically that signal to those devices. Hmm. So only only those devices can pick up that that signal. And what it does is it takes the signal and runs it across. Uh, it runs it across the wireless network in your or the the internet traffic in your in your building. Yeah. I don't know how to describe it. Yeah. I, I, I like, asked um, that because of um, like even in my work, like if I'm so we have these at Owens Corning um, through the whole line. Like we make shingles. That's mm-hmm. what we make shingles to go on your roof. So at the very end of the line, what we have is like um, bundles that they're already wrapped in. These robots will like basically they go they pick up the bundles. And then they just drop them down onto a pallet. Well, sometimes they don't work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like so- something's wrong. And um, I have to call this company called Premier Tech. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes, like, I don't get good cell phone signal throughout the throughout the plant. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it's disrupting, literally, like, disrupting my job mm-hmm. because I'm, I need cell phone service. Mm-hmm. And I figure in a hospital it would be pretty trash because of, like, you know, how big the building is. Like, mm-hmm. what well, he was talking about, the material the hospital right. is made out of. So that. Like you were saying, um, the pandemic had to push some companies forward. Right. So I figured hospitals should be one of those companies because usually, you know, hospitals have been around for a long time. It's one of the oldest things as far as like um, things that we use is mm-hmm. taking care of people. Right. So I figured, you know, that would be something that they would ad- address. Yes. Have you seen it? Um, I, I, the only thing that I really know of is, is that they've just enhanced, like, you know, like I said, the hubs and we have Wi-Fi and. Is the Wi-Fi locked to just the employees? Like you have a, so account to So I believe in? that we have, at least in the Baptist system, we have a public facing one maybe. And then I know we have a private physician or employee only one. Oh, okay. Um, so whenever, to, cause I logged in once, like whenever I, you know, bring in my personal computer, I'm, I'm boom on the, on the Baptist nice. uh, private MD internet. So that's awesome. Yeah. I, f- I figured it, it's something that's just, I don't know. That's really crucial because yeah. if you need to, to, you know, gain access to something at a very crucial time, right. For you, then mm-hmm. That's right. something that you need. But we also have, of course, desktops and, and things like that. And then in, in the ER, um, depending on the shift you're working at Baptist DeSoto, the doc might be holding an iPhone. So we can receive EKGs from, like, ambulance in the field. If somebody may be having a heart attack, we can we text privately with some of our doctors, you know, as well. So there's technology that's incorporated. I guess I just think of it so synchronously it just flows that I don't yeah. you know I wouldn't even stop to even think about it so that's good that's yeah. good I mean as as time goes on we need to definitely consider that in our equations of funding hospitals and funding you know even the police like mm-hmm. when we're talking about that right every every sector of America has to be like hey um, technology is getting better right and we're gonna get you know whatever company you are right. is gonna get left behind if you don't right progress right. like right. have you seen um like all these companies getting like the 
they're like the card readers and chip readers. Mm-hmm. By the way, Kroger has the fastest chip reader I have ever seen. Really? Yeah. Have you ever been to Kroger? Oh yeah. Anytime I, I put my credit card into Kro- the like the Kroger chip reader, mm-hmm. it's like probably three seconds. Mm-hmm. No joke. It's really? probably the fastest chip reader. That and um, Costco's is pretty fast because mm-hmm. like Costco, you can just uh, you just tap it on top mm-hmm. and it automatically reads. Mm-hmm. I feel like whenever I'm in Kroger, I've got to like hold my card a certain way because there's like a chip malfunction or something like Dang. that. It's never yeah. really... Cause, but I always go through the self-service lane. So. Okay. Well, yeah, that's the one I use and it, it, mm-hmm. it reads super fast. I love the probably I love the, the wrong. I'm Kroger. probably going to the wrong Kroger. So. <laughs> well, well, I mean, like I said, once, once again, that's, that's a technology play, right? So it's all in how the grocery stores are physically wired. You know what I mean? Your POS system, mm-hmm. the back end that you have, if you run in fiber you, you know what i'm saying because yeah. fiber moves data at the speed of light right so if you're using an old ethernet cord that's a cat 5 or you know you got cat 3 or something yeah, yeah. you know what i'm saying and that's really slow but if you bounce your network up you beef it up to cat 6 or fiber or something like that then of course it moves data very quickly so yeah. by the time you stick your card in then it's already it's already on the back end with the with the with your merchant services. Mm-hmm. They're 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 computing all these numbers. They're analyzing oh his his card da, 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 the pin number matches. Boom, authorize it. Check out. Let's go. Yeah, let's keep it. Yeah, that, that makes people want to actually go. Yeah, to, your to place go because yeah. you're like oh this place is nice. Don't make it hard for me to spend my money. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. Just let me give you my money. <laughs> I saw something um old. It's like an old YouTube video, and it was really cool. So it was basically like um. Like people would sit down at a at a restaurant. They were in a restaurant. They sit down at the table, and their table was like it was just like this, but it was like an iPad. Like the whole table was like a an iPad, like a giant iPad. Yeah, and then you could like tap on something, and their menu of the restaurant popped up, mm-hmm. and you could like order your food from your table, and then like somebody would just come out and bring you your food. That's was, how it is at Dallas's airport. They really? but they have like a like physical iPads mm-hmm. there. And so you might be rushing, you know, have a quick layover, but want to get something to eat real quick. So you just go on their menu, order, 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 wait for like 10 minutes. And then mm. somebody just brings you, your order, you pay there, nice. all those other things. So mm-hmm. that, I, that's why I love Dallas's airport. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's, that's, but see, that goes back to, are we losing our, <laughs> see, let's go back to that the feeling like, Having a nice server and giving a tip—it's hard and hard to give me give you a tip if all you're doing is just drop off the food. Well, I think that's that's another oh, thing that that companies yeah. that restaurants can think about. Like, yeah. like we were talking about earlier, getting rid of that payroll. Like, right. even if somebody is just working off of tips, like they're still working for that company. So, True. like liability wise, that gets that gets rid of another person that that company's liable True. for. Mm-hmm. So, from a company standpoint, like I hate to say it, but Sometimes yeah, companies no. try to be more heartless. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like they try to get rid of human factors mm-hmm. that might disrupt their company. And then other times, some companies like like Chick Fil A. Everybody knows Chick Fil A values that customer <laughs> service. Mm-hmm. Like right. they're always trying to be speedy mm-hmm. and trying to you know extremely polite. Mm-hmm. Figure yeah. out how your day went and stuff like that, where you're headed to and stuff like that. So I. It's all about those human factors. But yeah. see, like with Chick-fil-A, a lot of people don't know. Well, they, they may know this, they may not know this. Chick-fil-A is the number one most profitable fast food chain in America. And they operate, they do it in six days. Hmm. So they make more revenue, their, their profitability, in less time. It, more revenue in less time. 
Right. So, of course, McDonald's is, you know, they're trying to catch up. McDonald's is probably the most ubiquitous. McDonald's is the number one. Uh, they hold more real estate on the planet than anyone. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, That's they're, crazy. They're, they're right behind the Catholic Church, right? Mm-hmm. So, the Catholic Church is number one. <laughs> Facts. That's fact. Facts. That's why. Catholic Church is number one. McDonald's is number two. McDonald's has the most valuable prize real estate in all of the they whole planet. They own every piece of land that they're on. That's crazy. Yeah. So, with back to the food scenario... Chick-fil-A knows when they build a restaurant, they know their customer demographic. Cause, and I know this really well because I tried to open a Chick-fil-A years ago. Mm. Chick-fil-A would let you buy in for five grand. So if really? you Yeah. You could be a franchisee for five thousand dollars. But That's cheap. yeah, but the the caveat to that is that they do a thorough screening on you. They own it. You never own it. You're just the face, the manager. The yeah. general manager that runs it. Yeah. Well, now they boost it to like ten grand now, but still the policy is still the same. Chick Fil A controls where it sits, who comes there, what contractors you use, when you build it, what land it's on, whole nine yards, right? Hmm. So they know their customer base. They will not build a Chick Fil A in an area unless the median income for that area is fifty thousand or higher. Mm-hmm. So wow. they know at this group of people work in this place in this time. They know this level of professional stay here. They want to go to work at this time, so they have they have this many people that work in the restaurant. The number one, uh, the number one cost in any fast food organization is payroll is number one. Food cost is number two. You have to understand your food cost. Mm. So I know you may want it fast, and I heard you say something about like POS systems and stuff like that. You you don't want to lose the human touch, but the POS system is the brain of any fast food or any restaurant. Period. It tells you how many customers you had, how many tickets you did per hour, average ticket sale, what are you selling the most of, what time of day you're selling this stuff. So you know, I know at we sell X amount, we sell 50 cups of coffee between 5 a.m. and 5.45 a.m. Mm. We sell 20 cups of coffee between 10 a.m. and 11 a.m. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So you know how to gauge how much manpower you need, all that kind of stuff. I understand that because... I have a, I mean, I'm, I'm, I have ambitions to build a coffee, uh, yeah. you know, what I mean, a co- open a coffee shop. I do, have my own do, coffee brand. I was about to say, do you have a coffee business? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, okay. I'm one half of a partner uh, business, uh, Memphis Grindhouse Coffee. Mm. Uh, my partner, uh, uh, Rick Askew, he, we, we have a coffee business that we sell online. Okay. And we, we sell ground coffee, and we also have whole bean as well. But we, we sell our coffee online, uh, www.memphisgrindhouse.com. And we sell all over the country. We have people that we ship coffee to. And we actually have aspirations of wanting to open a uh, coffee shop. Okay. Like but, a physical shop yes. that you can go in. Yes. An actual, and we, we will open an actual physical shop. But when we talk to banks, the number one thing that they require when you have the business plan is, especially if you have not ran an, uh, a food business, you have to understand the numbers. Mm-hmm. And you have to understand the numbers really, really well. And a lot of restaurants... That's the plight. They don't understand the number. That's why so many of them fail within the first three years mm. or five years because they, they, they don't understand the numbers. So, you know, instead of having a staff of 20, can we do the same thing with a staff of 12 mm. or, or eight? You, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. I've, I've talked to a couple of business owners that own restaurants since the pandemic. Their revenues have gone. Their, their revenues have increased 40 percent because of the pandemic. And they're doing, they're selling more food with less people. They shorten their menu, 
and they introduced the POS system that will allow people to order online. So That's crazy. You, you know what I mean? So you took your menu, you digitized it, and you made it to where people can go to www.whateveryourwebsiteis.com. They can order your food. It picks up. Then you got Uber Eats out here. You know, Uber Eats will take your menu. They'll put it online. They'll let customers, you know, buy your product, pay for it. Somebody comes and pick it up. So technology has advanced the way these businesses are doing business. And they've noticed that they have made increased revenue by being closed because now you don't by you being closed, you don't need your dining room anymore. Yeah. You can shrink your footprint and still be profitable. Mm-hmm. So a lot of restaurants, they won't go back to the same format that they had pre the pandemic. They, yeah. they, they won't do that. And me personally, like so me and Rachel, we love to cook and we don't go out um, a ton like you. We usually go out to eat once or twice on the weekends mm-hmm. and we always try to go to a mom and pop type mm-hmm. place like we've tried a ton of restaurants around here and not and most of them aren't even like the big chains like mm-hmm. i mean we've mm-hmm. we've had um gus's fried chicken like we had mm-hmm. that once and um uh, i said we haven't even had central i don't even know if that's chained out or not is it uh, in it's the a city. it's a small chain it, like yeah. it's, it's just a small chain. it's a local okay. chain okay, okay. Local, yeah. local chain and like then, a babaloo is kind of like a local regional chain okay as well so yeah, we we try to go to like the places that are like smaller, and then we we just love supporting like a personally owned type place. Right. right. And um, dang, I forgot where I was going with that. <laughs> Shoot, I forgot where I was going. With that. <laughs> Sorry, <man. laughs> keep, yeah. keep supporting local. Support yeah. local. <laughs> yeah, I, we we do value that because I just feel like um, I feel like it's it's better to yeah. just go to that type of place and experience whatever kind of culture that they're trying to drive right. over, right. you know, you, you know what you're going to get from McDonald's. You know what you're right. going to get from Burger King. Like you can look that up. Right. <laughs> right. Like you can't look up the experience you're going to get from Elwood Shack or exactly. something like that. So right. I, I love going to those type of places. Right. I went to another place. I went to two locally owned and both of these actually were black owned businesses. I went to yesterday just to support them. Right. Nice. I went to this place called East Memphis Pizza and Subs. Okay. Uh, right there on Mendenhall. It's across from the Winchester Bowling Alley. If you, uh, I don't know. If you I haven't been, been over there. Yeah, but good food, right? So the the owner, he's a really cool guy. Uh, his name is Aaron. Aaron was out there barbecuing, and he did a little Facebook video. Da, 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 and I is saw it. it. Aaron or is it Aaron? A A Ron. Well, it's A A R O N, so it's Aaron. Okay. Aaron. So you're, you're, you're Southern twin. Yeah. You know, Aaron said, you know. A-A-Ron. A-A-Ron. So, so, yeah, Aaron was out there cooking it. You know, he did his little video. He was like, hey, you know, y'all come out and visit us today. We got this going on. So he was barbecuing turkey legs, uh, chicken, ribs. Uh, he had some beans and slaw and this and that. So I was like, man, you know what? So I hit up a couple of people and I was like, you know, hey, man, what, won't y'all go by and, you yeah, know, support the guy out. today? And you know we went by there. I went by there yesterday. Got me a little little rib plate and uh, some slaw and beans. And then later on in the evening for dinner, I went to this place called Wing Guru. Wing Guru is another. Black I've heard of that. Yeah, I've heard of Wing, Wing Guru. I'm uh, following them on Instagram. Wing Guru is actually pretty good. Yeah, really? I heard it's popping. Yeah, I'm not even a chicken guy like that, but but Wing Guru is, is good. Mm. Good food, good people, good service. Um, your food is made to order. Yeah. So, you know, you can expect a little small hole on that. But I mean, mm. but on, I'd rather have it fresh than right. have it sitting under a heat lamp somewhere. Right. Yeah. But uh, yeah. it's good food. And like I say, just to support people and, you know, show that that whole solidarity, you know, unification yeah. that we're that we're doing as a as a people, as a society. I, I love it. And then that even goes back to what you're talking about, just that em- that emotional connection right. you get with 
um, a business when you're actually you know, buying something from somebody that's not a big corporate business is right. Like if you go to Burger King, you might not remember the experience you had there. You know what I mean? But if you go to somewhere that's like local like that, then you're going to remember it and you're probably going to want to go back just because of, you know, the food you had. The, the, I love when like the, the owner like comes around like, Hey, how was your food and stuff like that? And they like Mm -hmm. actually have a good conversation with you. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they'll, some people like might sound like they're just doing it because, Mm-hmm. just because but then some people seem like they genuinely mm-hmm. want want to have a good conversation with you mm-hmm. so speaking of I'm, I'm not sure if you heard the word on the street about uh two memphis restaurants uh flight and southern social have you been to mm. either one of those places i've been to flight okay southern social <laughs> don't do this what's up don't do this go, go ahead <laughs> so they're in in the light of the current um Racial tensions, I'll say, that we're having in our country and, and highlighting racist behavior mm. from um, corporations. Um, Flight and Southern Social have been cu- accused of doing prejudiced or racist tactics. So if you've, mm. been, you've been a flight. Yeah. So Flight um, has been accused of forcing um, their, their staff to place people of color upstairs and not downstairs by where the windows are. Really? Um, so that they're not being seen. Um, wow. So Southern Social was also accused of like placing people of color in the back and not towards the front. Mm. But when you said, you know, the owner or the management coming around speaking, hey, how are you? How was your meal? Is this your first time here? I have personally only had amazing customer service at Southern Social, and I've been there with you most of the times I've been. Is, so we've always had great food and great service, but we've I've never personally felt like that has happened to me. Are they on par with flight as far as, like, the, the food and the price? Stuff um, like that? Yeah. Okay. I wouldn't say it's as expensive as flight. No, it's about the same, but it, really? but yeah. it's like that yeah. that standard. Yeah, it's, it's the same. same. I, I don't know anything about Southern Social. Um, Southern Social, so it's out here um, in Germantown. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of tucked away a little bit, but they have amazing food, great ambiance. I don't know. I guess I would say like maybe a classy Southern style restaurant. Okay, so maybe you'll get. You know, shrimp and grits, but maybe it's with like maybe truffle on there or something oh, like that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not I, saying that's on their menu, but something like that. I get what you mean. Yeah. Um, but it's still down home in a way. Like okay. everybody's real, real friendly. Their drinks are real good. Um, they've got a nice patio, and I'm, I love a patio. So, I mean, every time I've been, there's been a pretty diverse crowd. I'll say that as well. Mm. It's black and white. Um, so, but that's that's the word on the streets in the Memphis streets is that we're calling out southern social and uh and flight i mean i haven't even though i live super close to flight i haven't been there in a while Mm. but are you do you have any thoughts since you covered your head yeah you seem pretty distraught yeah you seem you seem real distraught i was like i was just saying that this is what's going on i just no i mean no seriously so um um to what she said I mean, yes, there there have been some some allegations or you know accusations you know on on that behalf. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, a colleague of mine who actually frequents a coastal restaurant out there. At Shelby oh Farm. yeah, that, that's one too. The, the same family they own that that management group they own Coastal, they own Southern Social, Flight, and Porch and Parlor. Okay, in Midtown, and uh, you know we were just kind of messaging yesterday back and forth, and she told me that she had. Uh, she's never had an issue when she goes to those restaurants like Coastal. She was taking her husband for um, 
for Father's Day. But she said due to the allegations that she's she's canceled her her uh, her reservations because wow yeah mm-hmm. so people are actually responding to this uh, to these allegations. Uh, it was on the news last night. Um, yeah yeah so the uh, flight has actually issued a public statement mm-hmm. to say that they are actually investigating you know the allegations. So it's Ooh. it's a it's a serious thing. Yeah, it's a serious but crazy. it's like employees and former employees that yeah. are like reiterating that these things are true Damn. yes yeah so That's it's crazy yeah it's it's rough it's interesting right now sometimes i feel like i don't get it's gonna sound weird to say but like the full black experience because when i'm with my wife she's white so like i would never be able to experience that going to the restaurant because i've got a white woman with me hmm. so they might not treat me as you know that same situation if i was with a black girl mm-hmm. because it might, you know, or might, just oh, by yourself. Yeah, yeah, or just by myself. So it's <laughs> sometimes I'm like, mm, they, they might be treating me differently because I'm with Rachel right. than if I was with somebody else who was of color. Right. So, I don't know. That's fascinating. I never, I never thought about that because obviously I'm with somebody who's a black male. I'm a yeah. black female. I never thought about that. Have you but seen yeah. uh, what's his name, Doctor Umar? I think that's his name. Have you seen him? Yeah. It, yeah. People, <laughs> I saw some video where he was saying. <laughs> he ain't was no like, school, family. Ain't no, oh, ain't no oh, school. Oh, I just, and I'm oh, done. Oh. Ain't no school. He ain't said no. something like um, they were talking about going somewhere. I don't yeah. know if it's like a protest or something. Yeah. And uh, he kept saying, you can't bring your white wife to wherever we're talking. He's like, you can't right. bring your white wife. Right. <laughs> and I was like, what is this dude talking about? Right. But he was, I guess they were just talking about, you know, only black people, only well, Africans. I or guess, something. and you have to understand Dr. Umar's uh, theology, right? Or his mm. theory. So he is a pan Africanist. So, you know, he follows. Um, you know the Marcus Garvey movement, how Pan Africanism. If you go into the whole research on that, you know, so he believes just in his theory, he believed that the black man should be married to a black woman. Mm-hmm. That's his thought process behind that. So he makes the argument that it's hard for a black man socially to be able to be able to do things or have social. Um, to be able to do things socially for his own race when he's married to Somebody, a Caucasian. Uh, yeah, yeah. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, for instance, you know, Byron Allen. You know, I don't know if you know who Byron Allen I is. I don't. But Byron Allen is a, uh, he's a well-known, he's a multimillionaire. Uh, he's a media mogul. He owns several different radio, uh, TV stations, um, like uh, TV, not TV One, but um, like Dot TV, like Comedy Dot TV, Sports Dot okay. TV. Uh, you know, he owns the Weather Channel. Nice. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, Byron Allen is a black man, but he's married to a white woman. But he sued Comcast on behalf of uh, racial. Uh, he said that segregations allegations that he, I mean, uh, allegations that he made towards uh, Comcast saying that Comcast would not allow black programming on their networks. So he sued them in federal court. Hmm. Uh, you know, so like I said, but like I said, that, that's Dr. Umar's kind. That, that's his. That's his basis, right? Like, yeah. just because of his beliefs, he he believes that you know, if you're gonna be a black man, you should be committed that way to the black woman. That's so, his. how do y'all feel about that kind of thinking? Because I feel like I feel two things. One, I feel that's the definition of being a black a black racist, and then number two, I also feel that's kind of living 
kind of living backwards. Like it's like you're not trying to progress for the future. I mean, we 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 call, I guess, just white people racist because you know they don't want to associate with um, black people with like you know dating, um, like allowing like a, a white guy doesn't tell tells his daughter you know she can't date a black guy or vice versa if it's a their son or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, to me, that's that's kind of racist because. You're saying you don't want another race in your family, but you know what he's saying. I feel like that's that's racist. Like <laughs> you're saying I don't want you know black men. Black men shouldn't be with a white woman. I feel like that's just the same same thing. And then also, I feel like that kind of thinking is just with a with the African movement and like the way he talks about that stuff. I feel like. I don't know. I just feel like it's very like I'm all for culture and like mm-hmm. looking into your roots and everything. But at the same time, like interracial couples are going up like drastically. Mm-hmm. And then also I think the the world in general is just, you know, we're, we're socializing more. The reason why there were so many white countries and so many black countries, so many Hispanic countries, Asians is because people didn't move as much. Transportation wasn't as easily accessible, Mm -hmm. but now it is. Mm -hmm. So that's how people can date outside the race. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, how do, how do y'all feel about those two things? Well, I mean, just me personally, I think it's all based on how you're socialized. Right. I mean, so if you grow up in an area or within an area of society to where it's the norm, then I think that's more so what you gravitate to. It's all about basing, it's all about exposure as well. I mean, so when you're five years old, if you go to a multicultural school where you're with West Indians or you know East Indians or uh, you, you know you're with Africans or Caucasians or Samoans or whatever, yeah, you, you know. So then, as a child, you know, children are completely innocent, so they they don't see color, like yeah. they just see a person, like this is my friend or this is unless my they've girl. been taught that, right? Yeah, right. You know, I'm a I'm a guy, I'm a male, black man. I grew up in the South, you know. So of course, um, in the South, because of the racial history that we have in America, the inception with the, you know, with the lynching and, you know, the Emmett Till incident to where, you know, he, he was completely murdered. And, you know, because of the allegation of him whistling at a white woman, two white guys, he was like 13, 14 years old. Mm-hmm. They beat him, killed him and, 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 and threw him over in a, in a river. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? So the Emmett Till incident was the, catalyst that ignited the civil rights movement in the 60s so with the all of the social and racial stigmas that go along with black men being with white women in the south it's not as common a lot of people socially frown on it Mm. they used to be that way but things may are shifting and changing now i mean but then of course i have an uncle my uncle who looks like me he's actually darker than me (laughs) you know what i mean his his wife is Lily White. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, I mean, you know what I'm saying. And she she's a very nice lady. Mm-hmm. I, zero problems with her. You know, when I see her, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. I speak to her. We have a conversation. It, it is what it is. But like I said, but he lives in Chicago, mm-hmm. so it's more socially acceptable where he lives versus in the South. Because yeah. my uncle told me himself when him and his wife go to dinner when they're when they're down here, they get a lot of kind of weird it's looks. Different. Yeah, yeah, they get weird looks. Like, man, look at that couple over there. You know. And, and of course, things have changed. Yeah, you know what I mean. But like I said, I think it's just how you socialized. How you feel about the Wisconsin area? 
I I have a lot of feelings. Um, one, I want to backtrack to one thing you said. Uh, you said something about black racism. Mm. I don't. Black people cannot be racist. Period. We are not in the power to. We don't hold enough power, institutionalized power, to oppress another race. Okay. So I would say we. Is that we your can definition of, yes, of racism? Because racism okay. is not just oh I don't like you because of the color of your skin. Yeah. It's also the institutional and systematic things that have been put into place to oppress people of color. Okay. I will say. Like I said, I don't think black people can be racist because we do not wield enough power to actually oppress another class. We cannot oppress white people. White people can oppress us, but we cannot oppress them. So we, I, it can be prejudiced. I will say that. We can prejudge people just because of the color of their skin, but mm. we are we cannot hold. We, we just, I don't think that's a proper way to say that you know you can't be racist. I just want to say you, you can't be racist. Um, as far as... Black men, um, or I'll say pan-Africanism, Umar Johnson exhausts me a little bit because I think he just just makes me just a little bit tired. One, because I think in essence what he's saying holds a lot of weight. And Mm. And I'll go back to myself personally. I went to Fisk University. I was born and raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. In a predominantly black neighborhood, um, 53206 is one of the highest um, crime areas in Milwaukee. If mm. you don't, I don't know if you knew that when you were there. Um, but I was born and raised there. But I was bussed out to suburban schools. So very often when I was in the classroom, I was one of the only or one of two people of color. So I, when I went through school and it was time for me to go to college, my mom encouraged me to go to an HBCU. And I also was exposed to HBCUs um, for that reason, because I felt like it was time for me to learn about my culture. Um, I appreciate Dr. Umar Johnson because I don't think uh, Africanism is just an, uh, an elective that you can take. This is something that is a, a history of ours that we don't, as a people, don't even know. We don't realize all of the things that we've invented and done and built um, across the world, um, let alone, you know, in our own country. So I, I I like in general what he has to say. Back to your original point about, oh, no white women are allowed at the protests. No. In order to dismantle racism, um, we need we need white people to take down the system. Mm. This is the system they built. They have the power to go inside of that system and tear it down with us. We can continue to say this is unjust, unfair. We need not just black people. We need white. We need everybody to say that this is effed up and we need to change this. Yeah. Um. As far as interracial dating, I mean, I think it is part of how you were socialized. I also think it's a uh, status symbol to some people. So I'll say, um, we've had this conversation in private, but I'll I'll have it in public. I think that um, because our society has put white women on a pedestal, Mm. as some black men or some men of color achieve the heights that we have been trying to achieve, i.e. getting into the boardrooms of your Fortune 500 companies and becoming these CEOs and VPs and and, and becoming basketball players and NFLs and becoming stars and holding wealth, they feel like their world is opened up to them and they see all of these 
off limits or exotic women that they've never had access to before yeah. all of a sudden being attracted to them and they take it as an opportunity. But I also think that it's also a social climb up, meaning mm. I think in the world, just to keep it straight, just to keep it black and white, that it's definitely the white man, the white woman, the black man, the black woman. Mm. And if you can level up by getting the white woman as a prize, mm-hmm. then that socially and culturally gives you some other advantages. Like yeah. you said, and for example, man, you know, you know, I don't know if I've ever experienced that because I know I have this white wife. Yeah, yeah. So maybe things are different because of her. But you realize that that could be a factor. Yeah. Um, and and it and I think it is. I think it plays a lot into things. So. It's uh, we've had so many discussions about this. It's hard to kind of succinctly say these things, but yeah. it's just it's it's so multifactorial as everything is. But um, I appreciate Dr. Umar Johnson. I appreciate that he's trying to create an institution that pushes uh, blackness, and it's not just what black Americans have done. What about Nigerians? What about the culture in South Africa? What about the culture, um, the slave trade that happened in India, Mm -hmm. which I didn't even know about until I went to South Africa and went to a museum and realized that there was a slave trade the opposite way into India as Mm -hmm. well, coming from the tip of Africa. So our, our story has not been told. We know all about European culture. We know all about Asian culture. We know all about American culture. We know pretty um, pretty much about Hispanic culture too, but black culture has not been fully explored and black history has not been fully told. Yeah. And so I respect that that's what he's trying to do and try to instill that pride in people because we don't really truly know as a people where we've come from because for hundreds of years, our history has been stripped from us. We were told that we were ugly, that we were dumb, that we were stupid, that we couldn't do anything. But that's not true. That's not where we actually came from. We came from greatness. We came from literally kings and queens. We came from wealth. And our land was stripped away from us. So, Mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting, the the thought process of, like, how – how history really is as far as like black people, because I mean, we have, so was it, uh, 1885 or 86? Um, the, the slavery was abolished. 1864, 65, something like that. Yeah, but 1865, I think. So 1865, I think. 1800s. 1800s. Yeah. So from then, I, I would say truly is when, Black, I guess, history actually got its propulsion because we went from not being a slave, I mean, from being a slave to not being a slave. So then we could get some true identity. Mm-hmm. Like, that's when we could actually start being a person. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we weren't really people back then because they didn't. We were property. Yeah, we were property. We were property. So we, we were three-fifths of a person. Correct. So I think technically that's when, like, real black history could have begun as about that 1800s and from then until you know we had like the 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 jazz movement and then blues and all that kind of stuff that the, the music really shaped our culture mm-hmm. is like people understood that now with like hip hop music and rap music like that's that's literally shaping white 
like teenagers lives is black music like if you get on tiktok and you see a white kid dancing it's probably to a, a black person's music it's not to taylor swift yeah right <laughs> <laughs> right so it's right that i think that should be acknowledged is it's almost like black history is still writing itself it's like we haven't even passed the history part we're it's like we're still in the history mode it's almost like we we started writing a story and People want to close the book and say I'm done. But it's like no, we we aren't done yet. Like <laughs> we're still writing. Right. That's an interesting way to right. put it. Well, yeah. I, I think you know, blacks in America, our expen- our experience in life or in history is probably one of the most unique than any other race of people on the yeah. planet. Primarily because we were brought here in the in the 15 and 1600s, uh, stripped away from our our ancestors from our history completely and we were taught you have no history you have no name this is your name you do yeah. this so of course when you cut a people off at the when you cut a people off at the neck you know you know what i mean of like you have no history this and that this is who you are so when slavery was abolished in 1865 which is why we celebrate juneteenth um you have people who have for a couple hundred years was working on slave plantations we built the wealth in this country. America's wealth came from two industries, tobacco and cotton. Mm. So when you have those two industries that were built off the backs of free labor, America, you know, black people were the free labor class in America. Correct. So in 1865, when we were emancipated from slavery, it's like, what do we do? Because, because white people didn't give us anything. They didn't. They didn't give us a severance package. Yeah, you, yeah. you know what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, yeah. you don't. You don't. You're not on the plantation anymore. You know. No, we never got it. our 40 acres in the mule. So, yeah. so we never got that. So we had to figure out how do we go moving forward. But then, of course, the law, the way the laws are written, especially with Jim Crow, black people couldn't own property. Black people couldn't do this. You couldn't go vote. You couldn't own this. You couldn't do this. So we always had to try to grassroot everything. So with people like like you said, with the whole singing. You know, the way we communicated on plantations was with a song. Right. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? So it was embedded in our, it's our soul. Yeah. It's in our DNA. It's in our DNA that you, you sing as a way of communication or, you know, mm-hmm. you dance or whatever, whatever. It's a way of, it's a nonverbal way of communication mm-hmm. because it was how you told the other slaves, uh, you know, master's coming or, right. yeah. or, or they're they finna do this or whatever, whatever, right? So, you know, fast forward to now. How we have, like you just said, music, hip hop music permeates every other culture on the planet. Yeah. It's used in commercials. It's sung at, at theaters, at stadiums. It's on TV. It's on radio. It's used to sell cars. I mean, every, it's everywhere. Yeah. So, but once again, black people don't own the infrastructure behind that. Yeah. We don't own the record labels. We don't own um the rights to the music i mean look at like a lot how a lot of our artists got screwed out of with right, their masters, their masters yeah. Yeah. You, you know what i mean back publishing. in history the publishing they that they were not you were just you were a slave again on paper yeah you know what i mean you sign these record contracts a record label will give you a million dollar advance but you got to give them 10 albums yeah. i mean you, you know what i'm saying right. that's i i love uh, chris rock he was <laughs> he was like people don't understand the difference between being rich and being wealthy. Right. Shaq right. is rich. The right. man who signs Shaq's checks is, is wealthy. wealthy. <laughs> right. Exactly. And, and that's that's that status that black people have to get to is that 
wealthy status. And I think that's part of the reason why people are rioting um, right now and are protesting because we have been shut out for so long. I think it's just culminated around George Floyd and, and police brutality, but it's more so I've had more conversations about tearing down the structure of white supremacy in business, which we talked about technology, um, education, healthcare. I've had more conversations about healthcare disparities, things like that. So you say that our story hasn't really begun. I think it's, we're just trying to go back to where we were. We're trying to find ourselves back home because again, we were we were ruling, we were kings and queens, then we were stolen from our land, then we were, you know, put here, we built this country for free, and then we were emancipated, and I'm putting that in quotes, because of Reconstruction and Jim Crow and redlining and, and healthcare disparities and things. We, we are still not truly free. And this, if we became truly free, I think we could really go back to our story and really rule the land and rule the world and show people how beautiful our culture is and how we are as a people. But we've just been systematically oppressed. And it's not just black Africans, anyone that has a lot of melanin in their skin, period, has experienced this. Because if you go to India, they got colorism and issues like that. If you go to other parts of the world, like Australia, the Aboriginal people are dark-skinned people. They are systematically oppressed as well in Australia. So it's just people of color, melanated, pigmented people. We just have been through a lot. So I'm looking forward to... Hopefully, since everybody's paying attention now because we have nothing else to do but to pay attention, that we actually move and make some significant change. Yeah. So that's my that's my thing. I just want to see the world <laughs> different. I don't want to have a baby and have to have to explain to my child, well, little Bobby doesn't want to play with you because you have Afro puffs and yeah. not straight hair and pigtails. And they don't understand that just because you're brown, that doesn't make you any different. Yeah. I just, I, I hate to have to bring another human being into the world, and that's that's something that they'll have to deal with. I want to see systems change, so. Absolutely. So, you've got your coffee shop, right? Uh, is there anything else that you're working on? Well, so, like I said, we, well, we haven't physically opened our coffee shop yet. We're, we're working on putting some things together to yeah, actually yeah. get that physical brick and mortar open. But uh, but like I said, I mean, I'm a, I'm an IT guy by trade. Um, I mean, I do some consulting with a few clients that, that, that I work with. Um, um, and we, we actually, I was, on my way over here, I was having a conversation with, uh, with a business partner of mine. Uh, we're working on some IT stuff trying to, um, well, in a sense, we're putting together a small team of people so we can call it like kind of like a you can look at it from like an IT SWAT team in a sense. Mm-hmm. We're going to focus on helping small to medium sized businesses redo their IT structure. OK. As far as, you know, hey, you need more bandwidth. You need more access points. We You need a you have a healthcare system. Oh, you have a clinic. Oh, you have a you need an EMR. We're going to get you doing. We're going to get you going. You got some data over here that you got stored locally on these machines or you have it in a server. Let's put you on Amazon Web Services. Let's get mm. you in the cloud. Let's get you more robust. So we're actually going to work with some people, with some clients. It's, it's some people that, we, that we're talking to that we're actually going to get a few things going on that. So. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Is there anything that you um, would like people to know about or to – I mean, other than your website. What was your website again? It's a www.memphisgrindhouse.com. That's my coffee website. Okay. But uh, for you know, if if anybody has any 
type of technical uh, questions or, you know, want to reach out to me, they can reach out to me at info. My email address, info.embrytech, E-M-B-R-Y-T-E-C-H.com. Awesome. They can email me there. And I'll, I'll respond and, we'll, you know, we have a conversation. Cool. And you have, what, two books or you have a partner? Or? I have three books now. Three books? Okay. Yeah. So um, the last couple of years have been interesting for me. I wrote... Um, a book last year and actually published two books, um, co-authored two books this year. One is Still MD, Two Physicians Advice for International Medical Students and Graduates um, with my friend, Dr. Nina Loom. Um, we both actually went to medical school in the Caribbean and there's a lot of um, students that go to medical school in non-traditional ways, whether they go overseas or not. And that's a very unique experience that um, a lot of students don't get support in. So we decided to write a book together kind of sharing our experiences and giving advice for others. So that is available on Amazon. It's available on um, my website, and you can go to stillmd.com um, to get that as well. And um, let me see. Uh, the Chronicles of Women in White Coats 2 is a book of um, just a bunch of female uh, physicians getting together and just sharing different stories about um, their lives in healthcare. We talk about superwoman syndrome. We talk about imposter syndrome. We talk about our journeys to healthcare. So I wrote a couple of chapters, actually three chapters in the book. Um, and when we were releasing the book, COVID-19 hit. So mm. we all wrote some reflections about COVID-19 and how we were going through that. So if you're interested in that book, you can also purchase it on Amazon um, or from my website, which is www.drkimberlyb.com. Um, what else do I have going on? Uh, I don't know. I'm kind of in a creative rut right what you want, now. Uh, TV, TV show? Oh, yeah. I was... <laughs> I was <laughs> Last year, I was on Untold Stories of the ER. So that is uh, season 13, episode four. It's called Heart Stings. I was also on House Hunters uh, last year with my brother, my crazy brother. Uh, he bought a house in San Antonio to be closer to my nephew. Um, and I don't know the episode number, but I know the title is called Sister Does Not Know Best in mm. San Antonio. So that was I'll give you a hint about how that went. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I think I'm running on local TV right now and on some billboards with Baptists. Um, we're really just trying to encourage patients that if they need emergency care, that the hospital is a safe place to be. And to please, you know, if you're having an, a medical emergency, that we're here for you. So I've been on a couple of billboards and on some um, commercials for Baptist Hospital um, just telling people it's safe to come back, and we're happy to to have you and to take care of you. Um, and that's really it. I mean, COVID kind of just kind of put the brakes on some stuff. Yeah. Um, and this was kind of a hard place for me to be. I had a lot of anxiety because there was a lot of, you know, uncertainty. So I just kind of put a pause on some stuff. But I'm sure I'll have some more things later. But awesome. that's what I have right now. Uh, I love people putting people on the spot. Yeah, I got some people that uh, to come on the show, throw some names out there, or you have to give them to me later. <laughs> Um, I don't know any, you know what, I, n not offhand, I don't, but, uh, I, I, I can get you some names though. No doubt. Yeah. I love when people give me, give me people to, to bring on. Cause then we, you know, we can just, yeah, I got a couple yeah. of people. Um, one of my really good friends is, uh, Rebecca Terrell, actually Freeman Terrell. Uh, she's an attorney and she works for UT. She's just a cool girl. She's actually uh, a military brat, so raised around the military. Her dad was in the military, but she settled here in Memphis. And um, 
she works for UT now. She's just a cool person to talk to. Another one of my good friends is Santa Patton. She is from Memphis. Um, she went to Central High School. She went to Vanderbilt and UPenn. Um, and she works for Selby County Schools. And she also does makeup on the side. So oh, cool. she's a cool person to talk to. Um, Stuart does not live here currently, but <laughs> Stuart P. Lott is somebody else that maybe if you could do like a Zoom call or something with him, he's a very interesting person to talk okay. to. Born and raised um, here in Memphis, went to Jackson State, went to Cornell for law school, and he works in um, the the Bay Area. Um, actually, I think for a financial tech company. Yeah, fintech. Um, but he's fintech. doing some own his own tech stuff on the side. Okay. And last person is. Uh, my friend Becca's husband, which is William Terrell, he's a native Memphian, was educated here, went to law school and undergrad at Memphis, but works for FedEx nice. and lived in Dubai for a while. And um, he's just a cool cat, just regular, just good old fashioned, just regular cool people. <laughs> like you can sit down and have like a deep conversation with yeah. them. Awesome. Awesome. Oh, well, y'all got anything else? We, we've talked about everything. <laughs> <laughs> Only thing cool, we didn't cool. talk about is religion. So I think, you know, I think we are good. All right, cool. That was fun. All right. Well, thank you all for coming. Um, thanks for everybody tuning in and uh, see you all next time. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Romare Records podcast on your favorite streaming platform. If you enjoyed listening, you should probably try watching on YouTube. It's way more entertaining seeing my guests and I talk. Trust me. Smack that subscribe button, leave a comment, and uh, give it a like. Those simple gestures really help me out. So uh, stay tuned in for the next episode, and let's keep it rolling.